All right, here we go, everybody. Welcome to episode number 54 of Sports Cards Live. Wednesday, October the 14th. Happy to have you here. Thank you, everybody, for joining. I do want to thank last Wednesday's guest was Ezra Levine, the CEO of the Collectible app, the fractional ownership company. That was a great conversation that we had. I also want to thank last Saturday's guest was Drew Herndon from Let Me Get That Potograph and Hobby Hotline. We had a great conversation. And then afterwards on the After Hours show, my guests were Karn Rye, who's one of my Pokemon experts, as well as Jeff Wolf, the president of Iconic Auctions, who the night before had sold the uh, Pokemon Charizard Shadowless First Edition PSA 10 through his auction site for $220,000. Check out those episodes. They live on the YouTube channel along with all the others. This is episode 54, so you can find 53 older episodes in the archives on the YouTube channel. Please check those out. This coming Saturday, I've got Irving Minera, uh, one of the old school group breakers joining me, Mustache Breaks. And then next Wednesday, Jeff Wilson of Sports Card Investor will be joining me as well. I want to thank all new viewers. I want to thank Ryan, tonight's guest, for bringing new viewers and attention to the channel. Welcome to all of you. Thank you to all the subscribers. If you haven't yet subscribed, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would consider doing so. Also, stay tuned. At the end of this episode, we'll be going through the Sports Cards Live 5 and the PC Card of the Day. As always, your, car, your comments and questions are in play. So let's get to it. Tonight's guest. He discovered sports cards in 2001 after getting a start in Pokemon in 1999. By 2006, he was right into the hobby. And in 2013, when, uh, sorry, he was right into the hobby. He eventually built up his reputation by being a top 10 trader on blowout forums. In 2013, when photo buckets started to charge, he turned to Instagram as a place to store, to store his card scans. And with that became one of the first people to use it for the hobby the way so many of us do today. He's grown it. Uh, he's grown it up to being forty to forty thousand followers. He organizes trade night at the National, which had over a thousand people attend in twenty nineteen. I was one of them. He opened his own store in twenty nine in May of twenty nineteen in Grove City, Ohio. He's a fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hailing from Columbus, Ohio, let's bring him out, Ryan Johnson. Welcome to episode fifty four of Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Good, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, man. It's great to have you. So listen, I'm going to start, I'm going to jump right in, man. Um, how in the world do you build your Instagram account up to 40,000 followers? <laughs> um, good, good, good timing. Um, posting a lot. I just, a lot of different things played into it. I, again, I've been doing this for a while. Like you said, 2013, it just kind of happened by accident, really. Um, I, I just started using it as a place to post pictures where I could, you know, show all the things I had for sale or for trade and use that to post on blowout and, you know, make deals. And then, you know, sure enough, other people started following hashtags were big at the time. Um, you could discover other content that way. And, uh, it just, it continued to grow and I had like a thousand followers and I was like, man, a lot of people, like a thousand followers, that's crazy. And then I started opening up my life a little bit more, right? Like, I mean, I, in 2013, that was the year I met my wife. So right around that same time, I mean, we met and, you know, I've been on here for seven years. I showed, you know, graduating high school or graduating college and getting engaged and getting dogs and getting married and just opening a store. And like, I've showed a lot of my life on there. So I think that was a, that was a big key that, uh, for me was 
just being someone that people could connect to and um, being uh, personable and, you know, more open. Um, I do show a lot of my life on the app, but um, yeah, just timing, good timing and posting a lot and just a lot of different things. But yeah, I've just been fortunate enough to continue to grow it. So, you know, one of one of the things that I've learned to do with with this channel even is just let it grow sort of organically. And yeah. I, I think I, I'm I suspect that that's sort of what you did with your Instagram account in that like did you go out looking to build an account that had so many followers or was it an or, was it organic growth? And I mean you mentioned you were sharing your personal life and I think people like to see that it helps you feel like you know the person on the other side. Yeah. But was it was it or was it truly organic growth or did you kind of set out like in term, you mentioned hashtags? Uh, was there anything that kind of was there a hashtag that really you found worked and then you kept on using it or were you really just posting to share content and, and it just took off sort of on its own? Yeah. So originally uh, the goal was never to build an audience, right? It was just, I just wanted to use it for free pictures. That's all it was originally for. And then as it started to take off, I got a lot more strategic about it, right? Like posting at a certain time, posting good quality photos, editing the photos of like higher saturation, light, you know, things like that. Again, it became a lot more strategic, uh, using specific hashtags, tagging bigger accounts. So Panini, Upper Deck, some, you know, other people like that. Um, so I did a lot of that. Um, in terms of like organic, obviously I've never paid for followers. Um, I've done like giveaways. I guess that would be kind of be the one thing that's like not truly organic because you've like tagged friends, things like that. That's a good way to grow. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, a lot of it early on, again, it was never intended to be as big as it was. I didn't set out and be like, Hey, I want to hit 40,000 followers. That was never the goal. It was just, again, just continue to grow and wherever we end up, wherever we end up. And so, and, and how, how far into it did you find that, you know, this is actually becoming a legitimate place for sports card collectors to hang out, socialize, build community and, and share their photos of their cards in their lives. Like you were one of the, you were one of the pioneers. What year would you say did it really start to catch on? Uh, 2016 is like when I really noticed it. That was the first year they ever ran the uh, Kentucky basketball cards ever ran trade night. I know we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, that was like really like the first year. Yeah, there you go. Um, that was like really the first year I was like, this is different. Uh, we started, I was able to move like uh, a lot of product. I, I got some, some wax boxes at a show and came back and, uh, Raz like 27 boxes on a Friday night. Right. And, and I wasn't expecting to, uh, like I never intended to, to buy and sell or to buy and sell on there on that volume. I was doing, you know, 50, hundred dollar trades and to move thousands of dollars in product at one night. I'm like, Hey, this is, maybe this is like a serious play. Maybe this is like a real, a real, uh, a real serious, uh, like platform for buying and selling. And then the trade night happened and people showed up to that. Like the first night we ever happened and I've got pictures on my phone. There's like five people that showed up. Like, cause when Jimmy first ran it, what most people don't know is it used to be three nights. So it used to be a Thursday night, a Friday night and a Saturday night, Saturday night, Jimmy and I would go to the Panini VIP party. So we never attended, but like Thursday night and Friday night, it, but it was open all three nights. It had food, snacks, um, trading, all sorts of things. But the first night we ever ran it, the Thursday in Atlantic City, like five people showed up for the first half hour. Like nobody showed up. No one. It was empty. And to to see it evolve to what it is now, it's, it's kind of cool. But like by the third night there, uh, or second or third night there, it was it had a couple hundred people there. So it was pretty cool. But yeah, it's probably been a couple years since I really realized that this this had like serious potential. 
Yeah, no doubt, man. So I just want to tell you a quick story. When when you started advertising the 2019 trade night for the national on Instagram, I got right wrapped up in it because this was perfect for me. I come, I go to the national. I I want some. I want I want more card action. When the night's done, yeah. I I can just keep on looking at cards, trading cards, talking to other card guys and gals, and enjoying the hobby. So I was super pumped up for it. So you mentioned, you know, you had a picture of the first uh, the year in Atlantic City. And then you guys did it in um, in Cleveland the next year, where it grew a, a little. It grew substantially, actually, from year one to year two in Cleveland. Did it not? So it was. It didn't actually go uh, Chicago. It, it actually didn't go Atlantic City to Cleveland. It, so Jimmy ran it the first two years. So like it was Atlantic City um, to Chicago, and in Chicago, is in this little hotel room. It was probably five hundred square feet. It was tiny, um, and it was packed. It was it was it was busy for sure. Again, three nights, same thing, um, and. Then Jimmy got a job where he was unable to attend the trade night and was like, hey, you've helped me run this the last couple of years. I want you to take this over. I can't be there. And then that was the first year I ran it in Cleveland. That was year, th- year three. And that was at uh, like a community center. And it was it was a pretty good size. We had a, you know, a, a good amount of people turned out. Uh, and then it went back to Chicago. The advantage to Chicago, though, uh, like logistically is you just walk out of the convention center and walked right into the trade night, right? Like they were connected. You don't have to walk outside. It just, you leave and you walk right in. It was, it was, it was smooth. Uh, in Cleveland, there's not that option. You had to drive. So that kind of limited it and it wasn't as big as it was now. Um, so that, that played a role into it, but yeah, Chicago was wild. In 2019. Yeah. I, I seem to remember you posting the pictures of the Cleveland one where it was like maybe 300 people, or so does that ring a bell? And then, and then Chicago, you didn't really know what to expect you, but you were expecting more and you went pretty far. Like you put out some money to book the room and bring in some, some beverages and some snacks and all that. And uh, so I do want to, I do have some pictures because I was there. So, and I took a couple of pictures. So I thought I want to share them because one of the things I like to do on the show is really promote the hobby, promote the events. And aside from promoting all the card shows that I love to attend to me, trade night is, it's just what we need. You know, it's perfect. It's a perfect complement to the show. So I'm going to throw this up. This is this here, guys. This is a picture of yeah. the lineup to get into the trade night in Chicago. The door was in this area over here and people were just waiting in line to get in because people, you know, like you said, like, like, just like Ryan said, you'd walk out the back door of the, of the National and right across to the hotel. And there it is. There was the there was this is in one of the hotels. And in one of the uh, the banquet halls. So there's this picture here. I'll show also. Uh, that's me and you, Ryan. That's mm-hmm. us at the, at the show, but at the at trade night. But then I, I have this little video that I posted, and I think you actually saw this. And I mm-hmm. sent. This yeah, I use post. this video a lot. This video is awesome. You use this. So this is my original video. I'll just uh, I'll just play it quickly. It's 30 seconds. But and what this is, everybody who's watching, is this is me standing in the middle of the trade night uh, room and just doing a, a 360 with the camera. So. There's a little bit of sound and it's only 34 seconds. Just to get an idea of how big this was.
<laughs> so, so yeah, just to give everybody who's watching an idea, that was the event that Ryan organized. And I was there for, I don't know, an hour and a half or so. And what I loved about it was, as you saw, tons of tables. I think you estimated there were 1,100 people that came in or out throughout the night. There were there were uh, some some prize bags available at the beginning for the first however many people. And uh, but really, what was awesome was you could there were people sitting around all these tables, and you could just go around and talk to them and look at cards and show cards. And it, it was it was a legit trade night. It was awesome, and I can only imagine what the next one is going to look like, considering how crazy the hobby has gotten since then. So. Uh, I want anyway, Ryan. Like, thanks for doing that. It, it's a great, it's a great event, and like I said, it's a great compliment to the national itself. So, before we, unless yeah. you want to jump in, with yeah, something. I just, I mean, uh, I, again, I certainly don't want to take all the credit for it. Uh, Jimmy was the mastermind behind this originally, and I think that speaks. I know we're going to talk about it later, but that re it really speaks to like the community aspect of this. Like, th this was meant to be a place where everybody that you interact with on a daily basis on Instagram can go meet up, put, you know, names to faces, hang out, trade and feel comfortable that the people there you're trading with are, are, are going to be good people. Um, but also like there were a lot of sponsors in that. And I think that's key here that this wasn't just strictly Ryan fronting the bill on a very expensive purchase. Um, we had a lot of people commit to this. There were, again, I know you, like you said, you donated to this. We, we set up a, a, a GoFundMe and we had some bigger sponsors, um, there, there, there were a lot of people in this. Um, so again, I just, I really want to give credit, but yeah, it was awesome. I cannot wait, uh, to run hopefully one in 2021, but, um, yeah, it's, 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 it quickly became way bigger than we ever expected, but it's, uh, it's, it's a blast to run and I look forward to it every year. Yeah, no, man, same here now for sure. So um, can't wait for the next one. Now, before we move on, I do want to welcome everyone to the show that we have watching and in the comments. Ernie, welcome as always. Good to see you. Jordan, how is it going? Sam, where's your hat? I'm still working on that, buddy. I got him. I'm still working on what to do with him. But uh, good, good evening to you, Sam. Paul, good evening. Happy Gretzky first NHL goal anniversary. Thank you very much. Peter, great to have you with us. Matt, welcome to the show. Yes, I've been looking forward to tonight's interview as well. Simon, hi, Jeremy. Welcome to the live lounge, Ryan. There you go, Ryan. Terry, welcome to you. Andy, good to see you again. Been a while. Welcome back. Amish Dave Archer, good to see you. How are you tonight? Anonymous Facebook user, welcome to the show. Ryan is a great follow on Instagram. Yeah, that, there's no doubt about it, guys. Uh, I mean, 40,000 people already think so. If you're not following him, which I'm sure you are, but if by chance you aren't, on the ticker right now is his uh, is his handle, at CardCollector2. Name, welcome to the show. Loves the Instagram page, Ryan. Absolute. Good evening to you. Lots of comments rolling in. Frankie, welcome to the show, my man. Great to have you. Absolute. Good evening. Big D, good evening to you. Legion, what's happening, everybody? We're just, we're chilling. We're going to have a great conversation here. Carlos, welcome to the show. I get caught up and now Jeremy's vlogging. Good times. Welcome back, Carlos. Steve, good evening to you. Jake, 90s b-ball cards. Guys, a lot of these people have channels on YouTube, just like myself, you know, Check them out. There's there's so much great content coming out these days. Ryan has a great YouTube channel as well. Check them, you know, check everything out. But here we go. We got Thomas in the house. Welcome, Thomas. Where's the Kush at? Ziggy, good evening to you. Duncachino. Sorry, Duncachino. Welcome to the show. Dominic, welcome. Jordan Hagedorn says, Ryan, thanks for being one of the good dudes in the industry. Can you talk about how we grow the hobby as a whole? And do you see yourself being at the forefront of that growth? 
Ryan, what do you what do you have to say to that? Um, so how can we grow the hobby as a whole? Um, I think one of the biggest things I saw this the other day on Twitter, and I think it's important to address that, like, if we want to grow the hobby, I think we have to be super open to new people getting into the hobby. I saw something the other day. Um, I'm not going to go too much into details, but basically uh, a newer person in the hobby had said something, um, their thoughts about grading. And there were some people that had been in the hobby a minute that like had completely like had just like, no, that's absolutely crazy. I can't imagine why you'd say it. like just completely like shutting it down. And I think that's the big thing is like, if we want new people to get into the hobby and enjoy it, like we have to be open to that, right? Like not everybody knows what we know, right? We've been in this a while. We enjoy this, but there are other people that want to enjoy this with us as well. People that used to collect, right? That was big when COVID happened. You had people at home with nothing to do, nowhere to go, nowhere to spend money. And they're like, hey, let's let's pick up an old hobby, trading cards. But if we get people in, the biggest thing we can do is educate people right? Like there's a lot of free resources out there, a lot of content. That's why I think social media is so big is it's free, right? You can go on YouTube, you can go on Instagram, you can go on Twitter, you can go on Facebook, you can go on TikTok. Like you can go on all these apps and learn everything you want to know about the hobby. There are websites out there that are free. Like I know Cardboard Chronicles, Josh has a website that like is free. There's a lot of tools out there that are free. Um, so I think that's a big thing is like, if we want the, the hobby to grow, we have to educate people about what we know. Um, and just being open to new people, right? They have different ideas than we do. Um, they might do things differently, but um, just being open to new people coming in is the big one. I'm not sure I see myself at the, the forefront of that growth. Um, yeah, I'm not super, super big on talking about myself. So um, there's, a, there's a, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of big people uh, in, in this hobby that I think are, are bringing new eyeballs to this. Um, but I think the big thing is just if, if we can be open and, and educate new, uh, new faces, I think that's going to, that's going to help sustainability and, and help people, uh, want to stay around. Cause if uh, we talked about this on, on my podcast the other day on card talk that, you know, if new people get into the hobby and buy cards, like, because people are saying that these values are this and they're not even like realistic. We talked about this with Pokemon, like if somebody gets hosed in the first month they get in this and they spend a thousand dollars on a card that's worth 600, those people aren't going to want to stick around. They're going to be like, well, this isn't a business I want to be a part of. So I think that's big is, is really the education aspect of it. I agree with all that, Ryan. I'll add to, you know, you mentioned that there's other people that are bringing attention to the hobby, you know, bigger, bigger influencers, some, some celebrities and that sort of thing. And it's almost like, you know, they're the scouts out there. They're the ones finding yeah. a lot of this new blood, if you will, these new entrants. But I think once those people get into the hobby and they start to poke around on whatever platform they're on that they were brought in through, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whichever it is, and they start finding other collector accounts, maybe more experienced collectors, you know, being us, being you and me, Ryan, and and the audience, It's I think it's then on us to help really... Uh, nurture them and uh, and treat them number one as if we're welcoming them into our hobby. You know, it's their hobby too. It's a wel welcome to the hobby and help them understand the, some of the intricacies of it. If they have questions, like you said, don't pounce on them. Respond in a respectful manner. You know, we don't know who's who's on the other side unless you know you see a picture of them. But for the most part, 
It's like, let, let these bigger influencers bring people in and then the hobby itself can take care of them. I think that's a, a good strategy to help grow it. And it's events too. Like Ryan, you said, you know, even, even the trade night to me, it's not necessarily going to bring in more people. You're already at the national, let's say, but yeah. it's, you know, I walked around that room and there were little clusters of people and some tables I kind of walked by. I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't sit down. And some were like, hey, sit, come on, sit down and join us. So it's really how how open-minded we are to other people and how welcoming we are, I think, is a, is a great way to, to grow the hobby. Thanks, Jordan, for the question. Let's keep on running through these, Ryan. Uh, Jeff McMahon, happy to have you. Looking forward to the show as well. Daniel, lots on the agenda. We are going to be talking. we got a lot of state of the hobby issues to talk about. We'll get there. Colin Murray, welcome to you. Peter and Ryan has a great podcast as well. Yes, the podcast is called Card Talk. It's on the 1.37 p.m. YouTube channel. Check that out, guys. Uh, I've listened to a few of them and very enjoyable. He's uh, Ryan, you're one of three guys on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, so it's uh, it's been going for a couple weeks now. It's about 14 weeks in, and it's uh, essentially what we've tried to do is give different perspectives in terms of people that have been in the hobby for different periods of time. So me kind of being the quote unquote expert on the podcast. And then we have Lou who's been in the hobby for, you know, three to four years. And then we have Tyler who's new to the hobby within like the last 12 to 18 months. So just try to give, uh, different perspectives from people that have been in it for different periods of time and bring all their ideas to one and then just talk about different things in the hobby. So it's been a, it's been enjoyable. I love it. That's a, that's a great kind of uh, panel, you know, the different levels of experience because it's nice to see someone new and what they're, how they're perceiving the hobby. You know, it brings up Pokemon for myself, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I have not been into Pokemon until around July of this year when I dipped my toes in for the first time. Yeah. But on the sh- on my after hour show on Saturday, as I mentioned in the opener, I had on um, a guy that I consider to be a Pokemon expert and Jeff Wolf, who's the president of Iconic Auctions, and um, and it was a learning. It was a bit of a learning uh, exercise for myself because I felt a little bit like a fish out of water, and that I understand. Mm-hmm. I've been doing sports cards for 40 years. I know them inside and out, but Pokemon's brand new to me. And, but something about it, you know, the hype, I'll admit it, the hype helps, but there's just something nice about something alternative. And um, so, you know, as someone new to that part of that, like that segment of this cardboard hobby, um, I found people to be very welcoming. You know, I'm fortunate that a lot of people that I'm, I'm reaching out to already know me and, you know, their friends or hobby friends, and they happen to know Pokemon, but People in the Pokemon hobby are very welcoming is what I've noticed so far. So yeah, a little bit of, a, of an analogy there I just wanted to mention. Uh, Benjamin Carroll, welcome to the show, wants to know, what are you picking up, Ryan? We, we'll save that for a little while, uh, come back to down the road in the show. we got other things to get to right now, but thanks, Benjamin, for the question. Uh, this anonymous user says, definitely agree with Ryan, tons of elitism around, especially on Facebook. And I think that just speaks to hobbyists and, and veteran hobbyists are very protective of this hobby and I think that that's short-sighted in nature and we need to, we as veterans, you know, those that are in the audience and myself and others, we need to kind of tone that down a little bit and nurture the hobby, especially when it comes to younger people because they are the future. If our cards are going to have values, generationally, we need young people to remain in the hobby. I'll make a comment about that later, Ryan, that I've, I've, I've mentioned before that is one of my strategies there. 
Uh, Thomas Newman uh, says card ladder being uh, Josh from Cardboard Chronicles and Chris from um, House of Jordan's website isn't free. No, it's a it's a service, so it is not free. So, and so, uh, Jeremy, I want to say Josh has a website. It's howtocollect.com. Um, it's a different website than card ladder. He is a part of card ladder, but that's not the website I was referring to. Oh, okay. Thanks for clarifying. What else? Let's see. Uh, (laughs) Brian, uh, Pepper Dean, welcome to the show. Nothing shows off Ryan's influence more than him single-handedly getting half (laughs) his hobby to go to a car wash. Is that, I've, I've seen something on that, Ryan. What, what is it? Just explain it to me quick. Yeah. I, I just have a, I just post random things, right? I'm super open about my life. So I'll go to the car wash and post a picture and it just, other people tagged me and it just kind of took off. So every time I go to the car wash, I take a picture and three times a day, somebody goes to the car wash and tags me and I repost it. And it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's just, it's funny. I don't know how it started other than me just posting pictures of me going to the car wash. I'm, I'm not sure. It sort was unintentional. Like, sort of like an ice bucket challenge. Type yeah, of thing, it's, right? uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, interesting funny but it's funny how things catch on right people like that it's fun man uh mike says i came back to the hobby because of uh, otani i started my website because of you ryan you've been a huge inspiration that's really nice uh mike to say jordan says well said to what you said earlier thank you jordan dave how do we grow the hobby consume free knowledge from all corners of the collecting world there's so much great content out there now i I have to agree with that mcdoyle sports welcome to the show (laughs) Uh, Daniel says, how are you planning to educate people on that? Um, Fortunately, I don't know what that was at this point, uh, Daniel, but if you want to clarify, we'll definitely come back to it. Ziggy tells us that Ben Baller, who is one of the the Tops Project 2020 artists, was on Beckett Live tonight. Great stuff. More growth is good. Yeah, I actually caught a bit of that. And uh, that was that was really interesting. What uh, Jordan says, I think recruiting new people to the hobby is something for us to think about. A lot of people have had bad experiences in the past. Can we help bring them joy to start and help them find their way? You know, that, I think that's something that that we should all be working towards. And, you know, Ryan, you have a card shop. So mm-hmm. uh, you must have, you know, fresh people, newbies coming in every so often saying, I've heard about this. I've heard about, I've heard what's going on. How do you... Number one, is that happening in your shop? And number two, how do you take that opportunity to convert them into a collector and a hobbyist? That's a really good question. Um, yes, every day, uh, for sure. It's it's very, very frequent. A lot more than when I first started a year ago, right? Like, uh, I know others will disagree on this. I We had Gary V on the podcast and he disagreed. I disagreed with Gary wholeheartedly on this, that like, COVID was really big for our business, right? It brought a lot of new attention, I believe. And I see it every day when we got, we have people come in they're like, Hey, I used to collect cards back in the nineties. You know, I have my old sports cards. Didn't realize they were worth money. Didn't realize you could pull, you know, $50,000 cards or $1.8 million LeBrons or things like that. And I, I think that's the big thing now is it seems like a lot of the attention I, again, just on a daily basis, when I see it, a lot of the attention that's brought into the hobby, like I think people are attracted by the money to get in, but I think educating them on like, Hey, there's more of a hobby here. This is a community. There's a lot you can do with this. You can, we talked about that before where you could go down, you could be a grader, you could go to shows, you could, you know, do eBay, you could do retail arbitrage, you could build a website, you could be a breaker. There's a lot of different things you can do in the hobby. So again, I think that's big is when you get someone new, just kind of, um, 
you know, showing them the, the different things that go on within the hobby, showing them the social media aspect of it shows there's just a lot that goes into it. So um, that's just the biggest thing is anytime I see somebody new, I can't, you know, it's impossible to explain somebody like, hey, explain to me what sports cards are and what it's like in f- five minutes. It's not really something you could do. So that's why I always encourage people when they come in like, hey, if you're interested in getting to the hobby, like where's the best place to start? Social media. Right. If you go on YouTube and you go on Instagram or you go on Twitter and you follow 20 people on each platform, you could learn a lot. Yet alone, if you, fo- you know, you follow a hundred people. So the biggest thing is like, yeah, we see it. Um, I, I just think, again, I, it just goes back to education. There's just, there's a lot of different ways to, to get informed, but you can't explain that to somebody in, you know, a five minute conversation and shop. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw throw into this as well, Ryan, um, a little bit of a different angle, but you know, we I said earlier, kids are kids are obviously the future. Young people are the future of the world. Never yeah. mind the hobby. Um, one thing that I've done, I've mentioned it before on this show, but we have a lot of new viewers tonight, so I'll mention it again. Is you know, Halloween's right around the corner here, and what I've done for years now is I'll put together uh, you know ten common cards, put them in a in a team bag, a little team bag, and give those to kids when they come to my house. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm also giving them chocolate bars and Smarties and some candies too. <laughs> But I'm giving them hockey cards. I'm in Canada. I'm in Calgary. So I'll give them hockey cards, the odd baseball card, football, basketball, too, as well. But, you know, most kids around here like the hockey. So I'll I'll put that in there. And, you know, several years ago, my old house became known as as the hockey card house in the neighborhood. And I was very happy about that because I want to spread the joy. And kids love getting the even the girls. The girls would want them, too. So that that's a great kind of way to um, to spread the love and and bring in some new young people, you know, give them a taste and see if they, if they take to it. There's a lot, there's a lot of competing, uh, you know, things out there for young people's attention, but oh yeah, you know, we love cards, right, Ryan? And there's something about them. I don't know what it is. You know, uh, I, I know you had Chris McGill up from House Jordans on your show and he said, um, I heard him say, and he said it a couple of times that cards make his life better it's really as simple as that and that's really what it comes down to if cards if you think cards can make your life better more enjoyable jump in you know they sure did it for me i mean i like i'm a lifer you're a lifer right it's 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 just Mm -hmm. just the way it is so all right let let, the, the comments are coming in fast and furious guys i always say that your comments and questions are in play i don't think i'm going to be able to keep up tonight so I'm going to I'm going to keep scanning them, everybody, but we're going to move on to some topics here um, because, you know, we want to we want to hear the knowledge that not that Ryan has to share. So let's jump into our state of the hobby discussion. I've got about eight or nine bullet points under this. The first one is probably the most timely and relevant. It's got to do with LeBron James. He won his fourth championship a few days ago. And I had this discussion on a recent episode, but I like to hear, you know, it's funny. As content creators, Ryan, we often talk about the same things uh, Mm -hmm. over and over again, but with different people. And I think that's okay because different people have different perspectives and I want to bring as many as I can to myself and my audience. So we're, you know, he won the championship. We saw the run-up of cards over the summer and his Topps Chrome PSA 10, as an example, was selling for around $15,000. It's come down a little bit. Was that fourth championship already built into the pricing? It's is the market efficient enough to build that in prior to him winning? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think 
you saw like how good LeBron was and how good they looked with, with AD earlier this year. So I think the expectation was at some point LeBron is going to win in LA. Um, but so much of LeBron's prices aren't like, I don't think they're, they're built into like what he's going to do. I think it's already built into what he has done, right? Like you can't take away 10 finals. You can't take away three championships. You can't take away three finals MVPs. You can't take away all of the stats LeBron's already done. That's why I think LeBron sells for what he sells for is like some of these guys sell for a lot of money now and they haven't done anything. LeBron's at least safer in that aspect. And I think a lot of that is built in because uh, he's already, he's already accomplished those things. They're, they're not like what he could be or what he may do. It's just, I mean, it's already what he's done. Yeah. I mean, my opinion, Ryan, is, is just that it's it's that yes, that was already sort of baked into the price. And then when he when he wins a championship, the season's over. Then people are it's kind of like a shock in a way. You know, the the hype is over, the excitement is over, the the hope, the expectation, it's been fulfilled now. Yep. So what's next? Have you noticed any change in the value of his cards since the championship? Uh, I honestly haven't looked a lot, but the one thing I do remember is like is when this happened with Mahomes recently. So like, if you notice around like the Super Bowl, Mahomes prism silvers like dipped a little bit post Super Bowl, right? It's like, okay, Mahomes got there. He got over the hump of the AFC title, went to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl, right? So Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl win, NFL MVP. He's already done so much, but they kind of dipped. So it was like, hey, cool. He got there and he won. Yay, cool. But what's next? And then they shot up when people were like, hey, man, maybe this kid is really the real deal. He's already been to two straight AFC titles. He's won a Super Bowl. Again, all those stats. Um, and maybe he is really the uh, a, a big deal. So uh, it seems like once you hit it, it doesn't seem like it's like – like I remember when I was growing up. I remember when like Santonio Holmes won a Super Bowl MVP for the Steelers and his stuff exploded the next day. It seems like now if somebody wins, it doesn't really just like – quadruple or double their prices because it again it's already built in like that it used to be different right when when these guys won major things like that it it really added a lot of value to their cards now it seems like it's it's not as uh dramatic when someone wins and again it may not even be extremely positive when they win but eventually i think those things will continue to rise yeah you know and what's what's interesting about this topic of discussion to me ryan is that you know, and you said it, you said it already, LeBron James, you know, if we're talking about investing in sports cards and, you know, anytime we're spending significant dollars on a sports card, whether it's for your hobby, your collection or your invest or your investment portfolio within sports cards. And I know it's all pretty much the same thing right now anyway, unless we're collecting base sets and that, but, you know, um, it seems to me like Somebody who's done something, they have a they have a resume, they're iconic, they're legendary, they've got championships, a guaranteed Hall of Famer, that helps. We're seeing guys like that selling at the same prices as, as some of the biggest prospects in the game or young, young people in the game. So when cards of players like Luca, who I know is, is an, an amazing player, and, and all these other young guys, even, even Giannis, who hasn't won yet and his cards are selling for so much money, you know, how can we navigate this? How can we navigate it and not get caught up in it? And like, should we be bought? Should, should we be buying LeBron cards or should we be buying Luca and Giannis cards? I mean, it's obviously a, a loaded question because I know which way I lean, but 
I see a lot of the new people that are coming to the hobby with dollar signs in their eyes, which again is fine. If that's your approach, welcome to the hobby. Um, going for a lot of these newer players, a lot of the 28, 18, 19 rookies, that, the Zions as well. Yep. Would Do people come into your store and say to you, oh, I need a new Zion rookie? And do you ever counsel them? Do they ask for advice? And do you counsel them away from the who's hot today, the flavor of the week or the flavor of the month or season even, and help guide them towards more solid investments if they're not really into collecting a certain player, like because they love this player? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not like pushing. Again, I'm going to be transparent. I'm not everybody that comes in and but hey, do you have Zion? I'm like, dude, you don't want that guy. He's terrible. Like, I'm not, we're, we're not saying that. Um, again, Zion could be good, right? Like, it's it's not impossible. He's had high school games filmed since he was in eighth. Or he's had games filmed and on TV since he was in eighth grade, right? There's a lot of hype around this. I just think so much of the market now is 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 around FOMO, right? You don't want to miss out on the next guy, so you buy everybody. Everybody sells, right? That's the problem. Is like we go into the season this year and Drew Locke sells, and Dwayne Haskins sells, and Gardner Minshew sells, and Daniel Jones sells, and Kyler Murray sells. Every quarterback from 2019 sells well. We're selling well. The problem is, is when's the last time you had five quarterbacks from one class be really, really good? Hall of Fame potential or continuous uh, pro bowlers. Like when was the last time that happened? What has it? It doesn't. History will tell us that not everybody can be good. So we buy everybody like they're going to be good, but that's the problem is they're not. So would I rather buy LeBron or Luca or Giannis? I'd rather buy LeBron, right? Because he's accomplished things and you can't take those away. If Luca's amazing and Luca becomes a top five basketball player of all time, that's awesome. He's got a lot of cards. You could still buy them 15 years from now, right? Like they're going to be available. It's not like they're, there's a lot more Luca stuff than there is LeBron stuff. So 15 years from now, if Luca's the, the third best player of all time, if that's what happens in his career, and that's what we, you know, a lot of people think, you'll be able to buy a Luca cards. They'll be good. You have a lot more to lose if he's not good. Yeah. That and that's that's where I kind of look at this at this point. Again, that's if you're in it for long term, right? If you're buying thump something and you don't want to ever resell it. If your goal is to buy something for 15 years, I lean that way. Sure, could you make money right now buying Luca stuff? Absolutely. Right. This is the off season. This is the time to buy these things. When basketball gets ready to start up, one of the best young prospects in the league, Luka Doncic, is gonna sell well before the season starts. This is like this isn't new. Like if you've been in the hobby a minute, this this is cyclical, right? Like cards sell well when the off season happens. Season gets ready to start up. Guys sell well, and it just repeats itself. For sure. You know, so if you take the approach where you're going into a current year and you're saying, listen, I'm going to pick up, uh, you know, a, a, a PSA 10 or a BGS 9.5 rookie card of all the great players from this rookie year. And you're and, you know, they're all going to be inflated in price because they're rookies and they're hot and there's a lot of hope and a lot of expectation built into their pricing. And, you know, you're going to buy one of each and whatever you spend, if you fast forward 10, 20 years from that point in time how many of those players are actually going to be worthy of your collection at that point, at that point. And like you said, five potential hall of famers from a single rookie class in any sport is it doesn't happen very often. It does happen, but it doesn't happen very often. And so, you know, I'm, I, what I'm trying to get at with this whole discussion really, Ryan is I, you know, we see a lot of new people coming in and they may be, they're, they're so focused on the short term. And again, it's okay to be what, you know, a flipper, like a day trader, if you will. 
I'm not that person. I'm a long-term investor in the hobby. I like, you know, I've, I've got my cards from, from when I was a kid in the eighties still, and I've collected all the way through. So I don't buy something with the intention to flip it right away. So it's harder for me to get into that mindset of the short-term flip approach. But I think because I don't, I'm really protecting myself from a lot of downside. And this brings me back to the point where a lot of the new people, and you said it earlier, they're coming in. If they're having a bad experience with their first or second transaction in the hobby, we may lose them forever to the hobby because who wants to come back, right? You you, you can buy a card for five grand. It, it goes down 50%. You're worth, it's $2,500. You sell it, take the loss, and I'm done with that sports card hobby. But if you're buying players that you really feel are Hall of Fame worthy, there's something different about them. Like Lucas does seem to be that way. I think it's too early to tell on Zion. We haven't seen enough from him to know if he's going to hold up. Sure. But, you know, I, I caution I caution new collectors to kind of do, don't be so excited by the short-term flip because to short-term flip, you have to be very reactive and you have to move very quickly. If you buy a player, a card of a player, and you're going to invest a few thousand bucks or a few hundred bucks, whatever it is, and you're going to take the approach of, I'm going to hold this for a long time, I think you're going to be much better off in the long run unless you get really lucky along the way and flip, 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 which does work if you're setting up at shows and you have that outlet. But if you're sitting at home, it can be tough sometimes to get things up on eBay on a regular and consistent basis. And it's, it, again, I, I said it earlier, like, you know, 15 years from now, if you want Luca, you can buy Luca, right? Like, if Luca turns out to be a top three basketball player of, of all time, his better stuff is not going to be readily available, right? Like, his national treasures aren't going to be 15 a day on eBay. Like, those cards aren't even, aren't even available now. So if, if you truly believe Luka Doncic is the third best basketball player of all time, you know, great, grab one. I'm just saying, I, I I think there's, again, there's just more risk in buying guys that have not accomplished those things if you're intending to hold forever. So, 100%. 100%. yeah. And, you, all you need to do is look back in an old Beckett and see who's worth anything from the, the 80s and the 90s even, or even go back to the 70s and 80s. There's only a couple guys each year that are worth anything. And some years, there's nobody, depending on sport, depending on year. But some years, there's just no good rookie cards left. Some there's one, two, or three, or four. You barely get over that number. So when you see a year come along recently where there's 15 guys that people are clamoring for and spending big money on, it's, I believe a lot of it is hype and excitement and the fact that there's so many people, new people in the hobby and they, maybe they like these players, they're on their team and that's okay. But I just hope for the sake of the, the people that are holding them long-term that those players do turn into being kind of worthy of that investment. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm just gonna throw a comment up. Card Insights, welcome to the show. Ryan yeah. is one of the best hobby ambassadors. His positivity is very much appreciated in the community. Very nice Card Insights. Love your Instagram account, which is now Card Insights 2, I believe. Yep. Don't forget that, everybody. Global Sports Card Investor says, totally agree with your thoughts with social media and Facebook groups. Yep. Can't disagree with that. Jordan says, Jeremy, your Halloween idea is generous and a great way to get young people going. Getting cards into people's hands can be a huge spark. Thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, I, I really want to stress that to everybody watching. If you have kids that come by your door on Halloween, you know, find a way to give them some, a little pack of cards on, on a contactless delivery sort of basis, right? Adam says, I wish people gave me hockey cards for Halloween. <laughs> so do I. And back then they could have. They were 20 cents a pack, right? For sure they could have been. Andy says, funny about giving out cards at Halloween. I give out comics. I'm known as the comic book house. That's, that's, that's cool too. I mean, 
I'm, I'm for all these hobbies, right? They're all a lot of fun. Jake says, I donate a lot of comments to, I donate, I donate a lot of the comments I pull on my channel to a local center to rehabilitate minors that were arrested, right? Just the generosity is great and, and it's so important and it's going to help grow our hobby and make it, keep it, keep it lasting, right? We, we love this thing. So we got to nurture it as much as we can. It's our responsibility as hobbyists. Hello to you, JPOGS12. Welcome to the show. Ziggy says, people making a living off cards are like living a life they love. It's still a hobby for me on the side. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, making a living on the hobby isn't for everybody, but it's a side hustle for a lot of people. I'm a guy that I I have a, a day job. I go to work. I have a career. I go to work every day, but I go to card shows. I buy and sell collections. I, I love it. And I start, Ryan, you might find this interesting. I started setting up at card shows for the first time in 2005 because I was going to card shows all the time and I wanted somewhere to sit down. (laughs) What a better way way than to have a booth and now you're on the other side and you can get, you know, just like you with your card shop, you know, almost like it's a way, it's just somewhere to park yourself within the hobby. And obviously you made a large commitment to you and your family Mm -hmm. by taking the the entrepreneurial venture. Let's talk a bit about that right now, actually. Mm -hmm. What's it been like for you to go from being a collector to an entrepreneur, a hobby entrepreneur and, and opening, buying and opening your store? Uh, certainly one of the most nerve wracking decisions I ever made. Um, you know, giving up certainty and guaranteed paychecks and health insurance and benefits and paid time off. And that, I mean, that's, it, it was certainly risky. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a blast, right? I, I, said it before i when instagram really started to take off for us i i enjoy this so much i i don't ever work a day in my life right i get up every day and buy and sell sports cards and meet you know talk to great people and i just enjoy it like it's it's i don't there's nothing bad to say about it i it's it's a blast um so i you know i told my wife like hey this you know this instagram thing is really working out like i'm buying and selling a ton we were doing group breaks and PSA and all these different things. And I was like, I don't want to wait until I'm 60 to see if, you know, Hey, I, I wish I would have taken this chance, right? Like, let me see if this is going to work. If it doesn't, I have a college education to fall back on, you know, we'll just, we'll go our separate, you know, we'll go, we'll go that route later, but I'm young. We don't have kids. We didn't have a mortgage. Like let's, let's see what happens. And like I said, I, I quit my job. Uh, I actually told my wife, uh, we, we had this discussion before our, we went on our honeymoon and I didn't come back after the honeymoon. It was, that's when I started. So October of 18. And then again, I, I you and I've talked before offline, but, um, card shop got offered to me about eight months later out of, you know, off a whim and turned into what it was. So yeah, it's been kind of, it's been crazy. Like I said, I love it, but every day is different. Um, yeah, it's, it's different. Well, one thing I've noticed, and I want to, I'll give you a shout out to a couple of videos you have on your YouTube channel, which are basically a day in the life of a card shop owner. I think you've got two of the uh, the mm-hmm. volumes out so far, or the episodes, and the third one is coming. I watched them, and um, I can tell you, I had a card shop myself in, in, in from 1991 to 1994, and I watched <laughs> your videos, and boy, things sure have changed from uh, being a card shop owner in the early mm-hmm. 90s to uh, to where they are today. And I, I want to mention anybody out there, like if you have a dream of opening a car shop, and I saw a lot of people comment even today on, on Instagram and Facebook saying, you know, Ryan's living out my dream of owning a car shop. Well, 
check out these videos on his channel. They're they're pretty interesting. It's basically morning to night. Um, what what it's what life is like for him. And and you even mentioned, I found it really interesting, Ryan, that you mentioned that Monday is your busiest day. You're not even open to the public on Mondays, but that's the day that you and your employees are the busiest. All time. Can you explain why Monday is so busy for you at the shop? Yeah, just Monday is the day we have to get so much accomplished because we're not committed to six hours of being open or five hours of being open. So like during the week, you know, we're open Tuesday through Friday and uh, or Tuesday through Sunday. So Tuesday through Friday, 12 to 6, Saturday, Sunday, 12 to 5. So like on those days, like there's a commitment to be there, right? So I have an employee, uh, his name's Dustin. He helps run the shop. So if I have to run an errand or I have to travel to Houston to pick up a card, a card lot or do different things. He helps me with that. But uh, if, if a customer comes in, like I'll go over there and we'll, you know, work out a deal, things like that. So we're committed to those six hours on Monday. We have to accomplish everything that we, we can't accomplish during those 12 hours. So when people are there, it's harder to get things priced, right? You know, you want to talk to customers, you want to interact, help come up customers, things like that. So I can't sit down and price cards. We do grading submissions. So I have to get cards sent off. I have to get cards entered. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, so much goes on to it. We, we reorder product, we make boxes for the week. So like our 400 count, 800 count, 1600 count, the cardboard boxes, we stock the shelf, clean the shop. Um, so much goes on those days. I have a pot, my podcast is on those days. So there's just a lot that, that happens Mondays, like I said, is by far our busiest day. Yeah. Well, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I, I just like that you've actually, you're not just doing the basic stuff, being buying and selling wax and singles. You're doing some other things to, to extend your reach and, and serve your customers. The PSA grading submissions, that's something that I'd love to be able to drop off locally and have someone ship mm-hmm. off with me. So, you know, good on you for, for really um, exploiting this opportunity for all you can. It seems like you're not leaving any stones untouched from the videos I've watched and talking to you. Uh, you seem to be a real go-getter and that's, that's really, uh, that's, that's, it's inspiring. So great work on that. Keep it up. Uh, I want to say hello to Dustin, the personal finance dad. Welcome to the show, Dustin. And I want to point out here as well. Um, Ziggy says he, he, uh, he do boys and he does boys and girls clubs, donates tons of base LeBrons because kids are always excited to get them. And then name indigenous rookie card says, take the cards to a teacher or a school principal. I used to give hockey cards to kids at my old school as a reward for acts of kindness or other good deeds. The kids loved it. It's another good idea to get cards out there into schools. If, uh, you know, I think I, I know name is a teacher or principal. So, you know, if that's something that, that the principal of the school in your neighborhood is willing to take in, take a few minutes, stop by, stop by there, just walk to the office and say, Hey, here's something I'd like to do for the kids. Um, and for the hobby, for the long-term benefit of our hobby. So some great suggestions there, guys. Thank you for that. So, let's we talked a bit about PSA grading right there let's jump into what's going on in the world of grading right now within our hobby Ryan we've seen you know a, a two months or so ago now Beckett put out a letter they they had to raise the prices of their uh some of their services and they had to eliminate a service now we saw PSA a few days ago send out an email basically the same thing they're going to be increasing the price of their services and I, I have a lot of questions on this, on, on what, what it means to the hobby, but let's hear from you as someone who takes submissions from customers. You obviously had to increase your pricing. What do you think this means to the future of graded cards um, on the secondary market? Um, 
I might have hit you out of left field there, so I apologize. But no, no. Uh, uh, we list 150 to 200 cards a week on eBay. Our most watched cards every week are PSA graded, right? Like the market has told us we want graded cards. Again, listing so many cards, selling cards in a store, seeing on Instagram, like graded cards are what are really what people want. Again, that's not the only trade cards being bought and sold. Most cards are raw, but again, ask most, ask anybody that's been in the hobby for two years. Have you had somebody return a card on eBay in the last three months because of a, a damage or defect? Yeah. That's why we grade so many cards, right? They're easier to move than cards that are raw. People complain about corners, centering surfaces, things like that. So yeah, it just, the market has said, Graded cards are, are what we want, nines, tens. It just, it seems like that's where the market's going. So, I mean, PSA is definitely at the top of that list right now. And um, I'm not, I'm not super surprised by the price raise. The, the, the demand hasn't slowed down. Again, if they raised it two bucks, three bucks, five bucks, eight bucks, like, would you still grade cards? Probably. So I'm not super surprised by it. And I don't think it's going to be the last time we see it. It's uh it's a really big part of the hobby right now. And there's a lot of people doing it. And I'm, we grade personally 400 cards a month. Like we grade a lot of stuff. It's, it's, it's a big part of the hobby right now. Yeah. Your grading bills must be huge. Yeah. That's that, that yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars yeah, right every month. So I saw a recent uh, video somewhere on YouTube. I, I don't remember what channel it was, but the headline was basically something like, um, with the with the price increases, will the values of your PSA cards go down? And my thought was well, probably the exact opposite because if pricing goes up, all of a sudden, if you're buying, you know, there's going to be fewer graded cards on the secondary market on eBay that you can go purchase. Um, so lower supply means higher demand means higher prices. I also I also think, and I'm really just wondering if you agree with these comments, Ryan. Um, I'm not going to take a card that's worth $20 that I want graded and send it off and pay these new prices for grading. Well, let's say I'm not going to do that. So now I'm going to maybe look for that card already graded. And I, and I know that, listen, I mean, if the card is, is someone wants 50 bucks for the card, that's almost my price to grade a lot of cards nowadays in terms of shipping and insurance and the, the, the fee itself. So I think it means that we're going to see the price of graded cards go up. In the, in the short term, depending on how long they maintain these new pricing uh, levels and services. And, you know, I think both companies have said, you know, these are temporary measures. I don't see them really going back on them while, you know, especially if the market doesn't demand it because they're still having backlog. What, what do you, do you agree? Does it make sense that the value of graded cards sort of, and I'm not saying every single one of them, but on average across the board, are they going to go up in value because of these new pricing increases? I'm not sure they're going to go up in value, but I disagree that supply will go down. I can tell you as someone that does it on a daily basis and sees uh, we get cards every day, demand hasn't moved, right? Like we're not slowing down because the price went up $5 or whatever. Um, So I I just don't see it as much. I I think the big thing is, is there's still options to send in cards that are $20 
for longer turnaround periods. Um, again, we don't send in everything for a faster turnaround time. I understand the concern about like, hey, it's 50 bucks. That, that to me is like if you graded one card, right? Because, you know, we charge about $28 for 20 day. So if you've got that and you've got return shipping, insurance, that kind of thing on multiple cards, it definitely can, or on one card, it can certainly get expensive. But that's why we recommend typically more cards, right? If you send in 10 cards, the cost of shipping, insurance, et cetera, is broken down over, you know, multiple cards to save money. I just, as someone that does it, like I said, a, a lot and sees it on a daily basis, I just don't see the demand or the, the, a decrease in, in grading cards. I just, I just don't see it. Now will PSA cards, uh, at any, at, at any value, like even at cards well, that, that are worth like 10 to 30 bucks, you're, you, is that, is that demand still there for great, for sending cards in for grading right now? I, I think you'll want to be more selective, but like Mahomes second year optic base cards are eight to fourteen dollars. And without looking, I'm gonna assume they're over a hundred dollars is a PSA ten. So you could grade that card for what, fifteen, eighteen bucks plus shipping, you know, insurance, things like that. But if you spend twenty-five dollars to grade it, you know, with shipping and there and back and the cost of grading, six months, is it worth a hundred I mean I just don't, I don't know. It's hard to see them dropping significantly to make that not worth it, right? You're assuming it's also going to 10 because if it gets a nine, it's not great. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying go buy 15 copies, grade every one and expect everyone to 10 because that's not realistic. You grab, you know, five copies, pick out the best one or best two, grade those. I think there's some potential there. And um, I think the big thing for us is just doing it more in like a, in a bulk, um, you know, 20 card orders where you can, um, you know, alleviate some of the cost of shipping, insurance, those kind of things across all of the cards. But yeah, I just Mahomes ten dollar base. I mean, Mahomes might be an exception, right? Like I'm not. You're probably not sending in your Anthony Davis optic base cards or stuff like that. I think there's things that are probably going to get weaned out in this where you want you might have graded those before at a cheaper price. You may not now. You may look for some alternative. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see. It just it as long as the base card market sells for what it is, it's just hard to say that it's not going to, it's, you wouldn't send in those cards. Yeah. I, I think that the, the price, the future values are dependent on, there's some risk involved here, right? You've sure. got, you've got the grading risk. What's it going to, is it going to come back at 10? If you're sending in a modern day card, yep. hopefully you've looked over, you've looked it over in detail under magnification. You can see Ryan doing that on some of those uh, day in the day in the life videos that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got the the time risk in terms of how long is it going to take to get that card back? Because the market can change substantially before you get that card back. And that can work in your favor or, or against your favor. It really just depends on the player and what they're doing and what the market is doing outside of, uh, you know, during that time while you're waiting for your cards to come back. Have you, have you noticed that like Ryan, where you've had a, an exceptionally long wait and you're, you're thankful that you did cause you would have otherwise sold the cards sooner. Or have you even heard stories like that recently? Yeah. I mean, I, I had, uh, sent in some Mbop, uh, Kylie and Mbappe Prism Silvers back uh, earlier this year, like in, in May, when hit the soccer market wasn't what it is, and got them back later, and they were worth way, 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 way more money than they were worth uh, in May. Um, but in the same breath, I, you know, I've got Dwayne Haskins rookie cards at PSA right now that are probably not going to do very well for me when they come back. So yeah, like you said, that's the, that's the important thing is it works both ways. Um, 
you know, you're going to have somebody that's come back that's not going to be relevant and his stuff has completely tanked or stuff that like, like you said, it's just like the Mbappe's you send them in and they're 300 bucks a piece and they come back as $6,000 PSA tens. It's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's, it's wild, but definitely the risk, like that's definitely the risk. Yeah. You know, personally for grading and I've got, I've got about 300 cards that I've acquired over the last year or so that I've planned, I bought wanting to get them graded and they're not cards Mm -hmm. I'm flipping. They're all personal collection cards, cool inserts, that kind of thing that I just want to have. And I like them to be uniform. And now I'm thinking to myself, you know, I may not send them in for grading. I might just buy one touches for much, um, much more cost effectively and they'll still show nicely, you know? So that's kind of why I, I think that we may see, some people sending in fewer cards for grading than they otherwise would have more for those, you know, not real investment type cards or, or less likely investment type. And if you think about it back in the nineties, nineties inserts weren't investment pieces, you know, they became investment pieces. And so that's kind of what I mean. I've got a bunch of stuff like that, that I think could eventually become investment pieces, but until they are, why put the money into grading them when they're just going to sit here anyway is kind of, I'd love to, trust me, I want to, I want that PSA mail day. I want that grade reveal. And I want to have them look great with the other cards I already have in that sub PC that are graded, you know, but we'll, we'll see, we'll see what I, what I decide. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's the price, there's the backlogs, you know, speaking of the backlogs, Ryan, I'm under the, and tell me if you agree with this, because you have some great insights. This is one of my insights, but I might be wrong. And I'm prepared to be wrong if, if, if you think that, that, that if you have some arguments against it, but we're, I've heard the term, the junk slab era. And I'm one, you know, I'm wondering when Beckett and PSA get through their backlogs, are we going to see an, uh, just an influx of graded cards on eBay all of a sudden, or, you know, not all of a sudden, but trickling, trickling as they trickle the cards out to their customers that have had them sitting in their in their facility for months and months now, are we going to see just all of a sudden the market get swamped with graded cards once they staff up and get these cards back to their rightful owners? Uh, more so than it already is now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, more so than now. I just, when do they get caught up? Yeah, good Right. I mean, this isn't the like, again, how many times can we we could go back and, and count, but this is probably the third or fourth time each company has raised their price in the last year. Like this isn't like this has been an ongoing thing for a while. And again, the market continues to grade cards because that's what people really, uh, really seem to be after. So I'm just not sure it's just going to be a drastic like, hey, we're caught up. I just don't think that's going to be. I just you'd at the way I see grading on, like I said, pretty consistently it doesn't seem like this is just going to just happen overnight so it's going to be a gradual increase so being year i just don't think it's i don't think it's super close to really you know guess if what the market would look like because i just think it's just going to every day they're just i mean they're getting through more and more there's a lot of stuff being sent in though so um yeah i think you're you know what i think now that i'm thinking about it more and talking to you i I can see the point that it's going to be more of a trickle effect. So they might, you know, it's not just going to all of a sudden they're all released. And, and I understand that. I, I, I kind of wonder how many Prism Zions are sitting there waiting to be slabbed in a PSA 10. And maybe the way I should have put it, Ryan, is the population reports. Are they going to 
spike all of a sudden once they, not all of a sudden, but are they going to spike as these companies make their way through the backlog? I mean, obviously I think they will. And is that, should that be of concern? I don't is, the demand, is the demand keeping up? That's a good question. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think cards are going to spike this late from release, right? Like Zion came out December 7th of, 2019 like that card's been out for what 10 months now so i don't think you're gonna see a spike on that i just think you're just gonna see just straight hockey stick right it's just point up um at this point i just it's not i don't think you're gonna see it going down anytime soon i think we're a ways away from that but i next 12 12 months i just think the zion psa 10 number will just continue to rise it's just it's become one of the more popular modern day basketball cards yeah, and if he does have a career, then the uh, the the supply will get will get gobbled up, right? I mean, I'm gonna want one. I want a rookie sure. card of every player who's worthy. You know, I don't sure. have the Zion card right now, but if he, you know, and I don't want one yet. I'm willing to yeah. wait, and I'm willing to pay more down the line than I am today. Once I'm sure that he's worthy of my collection, you know what I mean? Sure. But at the same time, I'm not buying every rookie either. So so uh, you know. It's like buy a bunch and hope somebody turns out or just wait and let them turn out and then buy them. And, you know, I've seen that strategy work for people and against people over the years. All right, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let's uh, let's change topics a little bit. Let's talk a bit about Pokemon. And I know my channel is called Sports Cards Live, but Pokemon is um, it's for real. And even, you know, going to card shows for the past several years, Pokemon has had its place at sports card shows, the national the sports card expo, you know, the biggest shows in the world, you find Pokemon there. And the, the, some of the biggest collectors, if I can use that terminology, they're dabbling and some of them are deep into Pokemon. So did you watch uh, Logan Paul's live stream last Friday night? I believe it was uh, when he broke that original booster box of first edition uh, 1999 Pokemon. I did not. So um, I was actually live breaking myself on Instagram and YouTube. So I was uh, I did not watch it. Um, but again, the my two uh, co-hosts on Car Talk, um, they had actually uh, we were they were in the pack break like one thirty seven p.m. Gary had bought a pack, so they were in the break. So they watched it, and I've heard I've heard all about it from them, and I've seen the clips of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pokemon is on fire right now. I just, we talk a lot about it on the podcast. I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of it. I just, I think long, long term, it has uh, a lot of, a lot of interest in it. And I just, I'm what pretty bullish. For, and for someone like me, who's very new to it, what is it, what is it about Pokemon that makes it so collectible to people who've been in it? Like, why is it so nostalgic? What is the, what is the, I understand nostalgia when it comes to sports and sports cards, because you watch these players play, you cheer for them, you, you celebrate when they win, when your team wins, there's like, it's like, there's nothing like it to celebrate with all your friends and people that are in your community when your team wins. What, what is the equivalent in Pokemon that, that generates the nostalgia that drives these values? Yeah. I think the thing about Pokemon is I view it a lot like similar to like if you grew up in the nineties and you, you know, you were younger and you wanted to buy Jordan inserts and you couldn't, now you're buying them now because you're in a different, you know, uh, monetary bracket, right? Like you can afford them now. Like when I got in and we collected Pokemon cards, like they were really cool when I was a kid. That was the first card I ever collected was Pokemon. Like it was big when I was younger. And the thing about it is, is 
like very similar to like old school baseball. They just, they weren't kept in great shape. There wasn't an infinite amount of supply of them. They weren't kept in great shape. So like the population on Pokemon, like if you look, that's the biggest thing about Pokemon is the supply on graded Pokemon is very low. Like for instance, there's like 550 Shadowless 9 first edition Charizards. Like I remember being offered one for $17,000 three months ago and they're north of 50 grand. Like 550, there's 550 Zions in the last three weeks, probably at PSA. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's extremely low. And I think that's a, that's a big piece in it is the, the, the rarity, the low pop report. They were played with it, right? It was a game. So they were played with condition sensitive. Um, but again, for me, it's like, I didn't grow up, you know, collecting Jordan or wanting Jordan inserts. I cr- grew up collecting one Charizard. That was the first thing I remember collecting in my life was Pokemon cards. Are there um, any, uh, like, I hear Charizard all the time. I rarely hear any other character's name. I'm aware of Pikachu, I think, because of the Pokemon Go app from a few years back. But are there other characters that carry the values that a Char- that a Charizard does? Or are there other, like, are there opportunities in Pokemon still today? I mean, on October the 14th, 2020, where, you know, I'll just tell you, I, I went out in July and I bought, June or July, I bought three of the unlimited PSA nines Charizards. And I paid like $800 each. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my first dipping my toes. I didn't, all I knew, all I knew Ryan was that people were getting priced out of the shadowless first edition. And when they're getting priced out, where are they going to go next? And this is coming from a guy who knew nothing about Pokemon, like nothing. And but I have a lot of sports card experience. So I figured, you know, people are going to start looking elsewhere. So I bought the three. Now, today, they're, it seems like every day they're going up a couple hundred bucks. They're doing like three to $4,000 now each. And I saw there's one over five grand on eBay right now. I don't understand it, but there is. So, you know, I saw an opportunity and I, and I, and I jumped on it. I, I saw what I thought was going to be an opportunity. It was a good move, a smart move. And it turned out to be one. But I'm. But are there opportunities still today? Like, what can we go looking for in the world of Pokemon outside of Charizards that are going to be, or or is it really a one trick pony? This whole Pokemon thing. So, uh, one thing I do want to address, I would love to talk about it later. But I think the point you made about like uh, being aware of, hey, this one's too expensive. What's the second best thing? That is a wonderful thing if you're new to the hobby to learn, right? Like the. I remember buying LeBron Topps PSA 9 rookies when the Chrome got too expensive because people can't – that you eventually price out a customer base where you want a LeBron or you want a Charizard. You can't afford the best one, so you buy the second best one. That That is so big, so I love that. I love that point. Um, but like Pokemon, I'm not the, the Pokemon guru here. I know. I learned about it from my co-hosts on my podcast every – on our, our podcast every – uh every time we, we record, they, they teach me a lot about it. So uh, I feel pretty good that there's still opportunity in Pokemon, right? Like next year's the 25th anniversary of Pokemon. That will be big. You've got big time. I mean, Logan Paul getting into Pokemon is, is that's, that's big. I mean, he's one of the biggest content creators there, there is like, that's, that's a big deal. Um, uh, the other thing is, is I, I, someone told me this once talking about Pokemon and it, it stuck with me. And I think it's an interesting take long-term, like 20 years down the road is sports cards have been passed down from generation to generation, right? Great grandma had them. Gr- grandma got them. 
mom and dad got them, you got them, right? They've been passed down. Pokemon's new. We've never passed down Pokemon cards. This is the first time like pokemon are what 24 years old now that they've never been passed down from generation to generation there's a very limited supply of them um there's there's different sets but like again 550 charizard 9 shadowless it's just i'm very intrigued by a long term um in terms of like hey what's the next pokemon to explode i'm not i'm not the the pokemon guru to, to you know make that prediction but We've said a lot on the on the on the on our podcast. Charizard can't tear an ACL, right? Yeah. Like he's he's not having bad game, right? He, there's no statistics. There's no like, uh, there's none of that really to worry about with it. So as long as there's a market, for, I mean, it's it's one of the largest IPOs with uh or IPs with um the game. They release new Pokemon. There's sets still coming out. Like Pokemon's going to. I mean, it's it's doing really well. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty bullish on it. I've been saying that as well. You know, not only can he not tear his ACL, he he can't he can't you know get into a domestic issue. He's not going to end up in jail. He's not going to say something stupid on TV. Yep. Um, you know, Char- Charizard has uh, some of those advantages that that athletes. He's not going to have a bad season. He's not going to going to get injured and be out a year, and all of a sudden your investments have tanked like yep. so i don't know what it would take for charizard to to go down in value outside of general market forces like supply and sure. demand sure, sure. one of those moves in the wrong direction we could you know there could be an issue but until then um a couple comments coming in i do want to uh i do want to mention here uh pepper dean says pokemon is so nostalgic because it was literally all kids played from age 5 to 12 for 20 years it brings people back to their childhood. And that's what I'm looking for. I think that makes sense to me. It's playing the game that creates the nostalgia versus watching players play the game. And I think sitting around with your friends and trading Pokemon cards and playing the game, trying to, to win. I, I don't understand the mechanics of the game whatsoever. Yeah. But if, if there's a winner and a loser and you know, you're know you trading these things, then I can definitely see the nostalgia. I mean, we all want to relive our youth. So that makes good sense to me. Simon says, is it all Pokemon that's valuable in PSA 10 or only first edition and anything Charizard? Can you answer that, Ryan? Again, I'm not I'm certainly not the Pokemon expert here. I know it. I mean, Charizard is definitely one of the ones I've tended to uh, go to. It's just like it's the LeBron of Pokemon. It's just that's the one most just people want. It yeah, it's just the way it is. I don't make the rules. Um, but yeah, I mean. PSA higher graded stuff has seemed to do pretty well. Like I've got some, some higher graded first edition, non like holographic, like the shiny stuff. Um, I've got some, yeah, I just, I'm in different things, but the ones that seem to get the most attention and have the most uh, upward potential, it seems is, is Charizard. Unopened wax is pretty big in Pokemon too. Like the, the uh, original boxes, original packs, stuff like that. That stuff is also on fire. Yeah. Good to know. I mean, obviously, with Logan Paul buying that box for like two hundred thousand and selling it for four hundred thousand, <laughs> I mean, that's four hundred thousand dollars for a box of cards from nineteen ninety nine. That's pretty crazy. Here's a comment, Ryan, and I mean, it's you mentioned there's five hundred and fifty PSA nine. Um, I believe the Shadowless first edition Charizard. There, I know first edition are all Shadowless, so it's the the, the first edition. Uh, Thomas says five hundred fifty nines, not rare to me at least, but really, I mean. Thomas, you have to understand the size of the market and to understand whether or not it's it's rare and are they locked away? I mean, rarity isn't just based on how many items exist. I mean, it's obviously a big part of it, 
but it's what's the demand really. And so 559s in PSA 9 Charizards, to me, that might be minuscule, extremely rare relative to how many people want them. Is that what you're getting at, Ryan? Yeah, that's the big thing, right? Is the 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 demand is much higher than the supply. Like Logan Paul has a millions and millions and millions and millions of followers. And if Logan Paul says Pokemon are cool and you want one of the coolest Pokemon, there's only 550 of them. The other big thing is they're not readily available. Like you can't go on eBay and buy 10 first edition Pokemon or first edition Charizards, right? Like they're not that available. Um I just 550 is 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 small compared to so many of these sports cards that you know sell for thousands of dollars and you know have ten thousand plus PSA tens. It's just I I think 550 is extremely rare. I do too, considering that Pokemon. I believe my perception. I could be way off on this, but my perception is that Pokemon is bigger than any other sports card market going. I think that it's bigger than basketball, football, baseball, hockey, for sure. Maybe even bigger than all of those combined. I'm not, I don't know for sure, but just it's a glo- it's a global phenomenon. It's it's culturally everywhere. And it's it's even produced. I've now now that I'm looking at it, it's in all it's in German, French, Italian, Japanese, English. I'm sure it's in Spanish. I'm sure it's in yep. others. It's probably right. Russian. I mean, so this thing, I mean, 550 might be like it's a PSA, like, like it's a pop two. It could be the same, relatively speaking. It could be a as if it was a, as if, I don't know, pick a player had a pop, you know, a popular player with a pop two or pop 10 or less type kind of thing. That could be relatively just how small that is. Um, Andy jumps in and says 550 isn't rare in any sense of the word. However, as you boys mentioned, supply versus demand makes them ultra desirable. Yeah, it's not rare itself if you just look at 550 units out there. But if you look at 20 million people that want one, and it might be 20 million people that want one, there just isn't enough to go around. And that's why they're selling for over $50,000. Yeah, makes I, sense to me, at least. Five, Paul says 550 PSA 9s compared to Ken Griffey upper deck rookie card is rare. Yeah, again, it's all relative, right? That's Simon awesome. says the smart Pokemon collectors would have those PSA 9s locked away. And I'm, I think they do for the most part. I think mm-hmm. a lot of them do. Funny comment here, Ryan, from a Cardboard Nostalgia says, my fiance is nine months pregnant and watching Sports Cards Live for the first time. She's laughing at the Pokemon <laughs> conversation until I told her about the $240,000 sale. Yeah, I mean, for sure, I, it's serious, right? That that got a lot of people's attention. And Logan Paul on his on his box break, and I watched it. He had no less than like a quarter million people watching this break, and I saw it go over three hundred thousand several times. I yeah. heard him afterwards say, Ryan, that he had over a million unique views, and that could be at two million by now. Yeah, I heard it. Uh, I heard the floor was about two thirteen, and it got as high as just over four hundred thousand. That is wild, wild. That amount of attention on a opening of, of Pokemon packs. That's again, like Logan Paul is one of, if not the biggest content creator there is. I just that's a that's a lot of attention on the Pokemon market. And like you said, I, I, I tend to agree on in terms of uh, you know Pokemon. I, they continue to make new sets. There's games. There's there's just all sorts of things. It's not like it hasn't been out in 20 years and nobody knows about it. Like kids still play it now. There's you know it, it's popular among the youth now. We see a lot of kids coming in looking for Pokemon. Um, again, I don't think it 
it not, doesn't necessarily help that, you know, Charizard isn't putting up 40 point triple doubles or winning a Super Bowl MVP. Like that can't, you know, hurt those guys that, you know, do those things. Um, I just think the, 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 the risk isn't as, is severe on Pokemon as it is in sports cards. I just think sports cards, you just got the, this, the, the floor is, you know, a lot lower, or if not zero, whereas, you know, Pokemon cards are just, I just don't see it going down. I just, I think there's more of a, an upward trajectory with a lot of that. And, and I think what you just said kind of makes me believe that too, because you said you, there's still kids coming in. The kids are, kids are still playing Pokemon. And that's what, that's why it's going to last because these kids, I mean, they're from five years old to 20 years old, let's say. And so 20, 30, 40 years down the road, when they have money, they're probably going to get nostalgic. It's natural. And they're going to go back and want the cards that they collect. And then they may go back into vintage Pokemon being 1999 to 2003 or what I think is called first generation sort of thing. A um, couple of things here. Uh, Simon, not Simon. I always say Simon watches a lot and his name is, so I say Simon says a lot. Simon says, did Logan hit any fire from his Pokemon box? Well, I did watch it. And yeah, he hit the Charizard. He hit a, a Blastoise and he hit a Venusaur. I know these now. I didn't know them a week ago, but I know them now. And he hit a whole bunch of Pikachus and he hit some other ones. And yeah, there I, I, I was told it was a, a, a like a top 10% box based on what came out of it. So several happy uh, pack purchasers within there. Um, yeah, here we go. Matt says it has 8.5 million views in four days. Like that might be a YouTube record for all I know. Like that's... That's a, that's a big number. And that that's why 550 PSA 9s is microscopic compared to anything we've seen, I believe, in sports cards. I mean, the Wayne Gretzky OPG rookie card in a PSA 10, there's two of them. There's two of them. And they the last one sold for $650,000 or something like that. I mean, sorry, that was Canadian dollars. So say four whatever US. It's a lot of money for a, for a pop two card. Meanwhile, a a PSA 10 Charizard just sold for $220,000. And what's, I don't know the pop of the 10 Ryan, but it's in the hundreds. I have to think. Yeah. And I think the, the, the big thing is, especially with like the recent rise is I think you're like, you're going to start seeing, and we're going to talk about this later. I think with uh, uh possible like fractional ownership, but like, I think you're going to see like, you're, you are going to see like, cards as an alternative investment to like the extremely wealthy like people that have a lot of money are putting money into sports cards into cards in general like people with million dollar you know investment accounts are going to look at these things for alternative investments and are going to buy these things up like there's not a lot of them for sale they're going to be bought up and they're just going to be stored away for a while i just i don't see i think a year from now the the amount of PSA nines or tens available is just going to be a, a lot less. I'm just, I'm, I just really believe that to be true. Yeah. And the one that just sold last weekend for $220,000 was, was sold to the, the, the retired rapper logic. logic. He's not going to sell that card ever. The guy's going to go to his grave with it. And I think we're seeing that with a lot of these cards, you know, I have three of the PSA nines of the, the unlimited version and I'm not planning to sell them. Although my wife's like, well, you should sell one and then they're all paid for. Yeah, maybe I should. But I, you know, I have the FOMO too. I, what if it's a $20,000 card three months from now? I, I'm willing to take that risk and let it go down to what I bought it for because, uh, you know, I'm just not in it to make a quick buck. I want, I'm in it long-term myself. But so those three are pretty much locked away now for a good amount of years, I would say. 
and I think that's big on a lot of the cards now that are worth that kind of money is like a lot of the people that if like if you need the money, you would have likely taken advantage of $50,000 on a nine. A lot of the cards that, you know, if there's 550 of them and they're not readily available, you would assume that a lot of the people that have them now don't likely need the money and they're not just going to become available on a consistent basis. Like we're not passing these around like they're, you know, that your average new rookie PSA 10 base card like these these aren't these aren't very common. I just don't expect them to come up a whole lot. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I, I think it's uh, I, I I'm a little intrigued. Andy says, "LOL, Jeremy chasing the Zard." I am, Andy. I admit it. I, I'm I'm just a sucker for cardboard. I mean, and I the difference for me between Pokemon and sports is that sports I can go study the history. I can watch the players. You know, they're especially when you go into vintage and the pioneers and really, you know, they didn't only they're not only some of the first people on sports cards or some of the first people to play these sports. You know, if you go back way back in time, but the Pokemon thing, it's, 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 it's a bit of the hype and I'll, I'm happy to admit it. Yes. I'm caught up in the hype a little bit because I watched that Logan Paul thing, 4 million, 8 million views. Like that's real. And if I see opportunity, I, I almost owe it to myself to not ignore a segment of this hobby just because it's got pictures of monsters on it. it sounds kind of funny when you say it, but but I do also, and, and Ryan, I had Ken Golden from Golden Auctions on the show a few months ago. And I said to him, is this Pokemon thing for real? And he said to me and the audience, he said, listen, it's bigger on a global basis than Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. I forget, you know, I'm paraphrasing at this point, but he made the point that this is a cultural phenomenon, just like superheroes are, just like Marvel is, you know, and it's not going away. So that, and that's when I said, okay, you know what? That makes sense to me. I better go buy some of these before they take off in value. Thankfully I did that. So happy, happy, uh, happy I did that and happy that Ken made that comment. And I mean, but it's not just about what I did. Obviously I, I am interested in the, the, uh, in the art of Pokemon and the cards that they, uh, that are, that we can all be collecting uh, from there. Uh, Ryan, I want to come back to a comment that came a few minutes ago. Well, several minutes ago now. I'm looking for it. It had to do with you buying your card shop. And gosh, I might have lost it in here. Um, basically, the question was, and I, I'm sorry, it, it was a question from Ziggy. I can't find it. But he was basically asking, you know, when you bought your shop, Ryan, what did you buy? Did you buy inventory? Did you buy allocation rights? Um, what was it that you actually acquired when you, when you did purchase your store? Uh, I bought everything in the store and everything that came with it. So yes, it included the allocation. Um, that was certainly, and that is in most cases, in most card stores, certainly the, the biggest asset, right? The ability to purchase, uh, hobby boxes, um, at, at wholesale cost. That's, that's definitely the, the biggest, uh, biggest asset in the, in the shop. Um, but yeah, I, 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 everything that came with it, it was, a it was more of a museum than a, than a card store, right? Like the inventory was not updated on a consistent basis. Uh, the owner was very, I mean, very nice guy. He had been in business for 40 plus years. He was at, uh, that location for seven years and it was, he didn't really buy a whole lot of like modern stuff like I do, like on a consistent, you know, buy, sell trade, uh, mentality. It was more of a, Hey, this lot came in. It was a hundred dollars. I'm going to sell it to the next guy for 110, make my 10 bucks and be out of it. It was very, that was his, his thing. Just if you can do that on a consistent basis, you'll make 
a good amount of money without doing a little bit, you know, with doing very little work. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot in it. It was more of a, Hey, this is the turnkey business that, you know, we ended up spending six days, you know, fixing it. Cause it was very old school. Um, but it was basically a turnkey business, right? People knew where he was. I had the online following kind of merge those two together and, uh, and, and open the shop. So, um, but yeah, basically yeah, anything that came with it, I, I bought. Okay. I don't and, remember the rest of the question. I didn't see the rest well, of it. The, the other, I, and I've lost it again, but locate, oh no, I hear, um, I, I'm curious about the location. Was the location key? Like, was, like, or was it just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, lo- the location's nice again. I'm, I'm sure uh, if you've ever, if anyone here has been to it, you can attest to it, but it's at a, it's a good spot with, with foot traffic. Um, that, that is really nice. It's, the, it's in a great location. I love, love, love the location we're in. Um, so, uh, that has been super cool. This is a good question though, because I get asked this a lot. Like, uh, why own a physical shop versus at home? I think this is a wonderful question, um, and I don't mean this in in any sort of a conceited way. But like for us, it became like a, we wanted it to be a destination, right? Like I wanted people to come out and say, "Hey, I'm going to visit Card Collector too." I wanted people to go there and like in in, in travel to come to our store. I wanted that to be the destination. You can't do that when you're at home and you, like you have an office. Like that's just not the same. So we wanted to make it a destination shop where, hey, this is so cool. You want to seek it out. Um, so that was our goal. So I, th- I really think our online following had a big was like was a key factor in us deciding to go that route. Because while I've always wanted to do a store, it's just not necessary anymore, right? Like so much business happens online. A lot of our business happens online. You don't need a retail store to be successful. Again, we created ours to be a destination, but I mean, the overhead, the expenses, there's just a lot that goes into a shop that um, you don't have if you work out of a home office. It's, It's very different. And again, you're also time committed, right? Like, do you want to commit I'm there most days at nine o'clock and I don't leave most days till six or six 30, right? You've got to be there from 12 to six when we're open. You know, when I was in, you know, when I was at home and working from my home office, if, you know, my wife needed me to bring her something at work, I could go do it. If I needed to, you know, take the dog to the vet, I could go do it. I could just drop what I'm doing and leave. You can't do that now. Like, again, if you, I have employees that help with that. So definitely, you know, can now, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, but the shop made it a little trickier when, you know, things came up and you're like, Hey, I got to work. I got to be here. Um, but yeah, I just, the face to face interaction is the best. I've said that time and time again is, um, I'm not a, an introverted person by any stretch of the imagination, sitting at a computer all day, just typing and not talking to one. I, I, I can't do that. I love talking to people. So face to face interaction is, is big for me. That's why I wanted to do it. I, you know, I, I, I get, I'm lucky enough to work with great people every day and I, I learn a lot and it, get to see people and, and talk and face-to-face interaction. It just, that's, that's by far the coolest aspect of it. Sounds to me like you're in a full-time card show, really. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the, yeah. that's kind of almost what you were looking for. And it's what you created for yourself. And I have to think that the people that come to your store that are in the geographical area that can come, that, that it's their LCS, yep. they must be pumped that you've injected yeah. new life into it, youth and youth and energy into the store 
really, the I'm, I can only imagine the in, the quality of inventory is a hundredfold better than it was before. Um, so that's pretty awesome for the people that live around you and that shop at your store. Like they must love what you've done with it. Do you get those sorts of uh, comments and reactions? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've we've done a pretty good job changing it, and we've we've certainly got some some positive feedback about that. I mean, always always trying to make uh, to make it better, right? I I think that's big. Is I when I bought it, it looked like a 1997 card store, and I you know I know this old owner still, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. It was just it was more of a museum. It wasn't you know we made it more inviting, more open, more you know personal like less transaction based. It was, you know, in the past it was more come in. There wasn't a lot of room to sit. There wasn't a lot of room to move. It was just come in, get yourself and go. And that's just not what I wanted it to be. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds weird, but it's like, it's very similar to like a barber shop, right? Like you go yeah. in and it's, it's, it's supposed to be sure. like, let's, yeah, let's, let's have a conversation. Yeah. So. Like, like, like cheers where everybody knows your name. I think we all want that in our local card shop. And I think most of us have something like, well, if you have an LCS, Hopefully it's like that, and the owner is welcoming and wants you wants you there. Just doesn't want you in and out. Uh, that's what I think. That's what collectors really want. Uh, Jordan says Ryan would love to collab with you on behalf of For the Hobby. Happy to send you a bunch of cards to give kids at the shop and share some creative ideas to attract new hobbyists. Jordan was my guest on an episode a few weeks ago. Check that out. He's a awesome. He is truly for the hobby, which uh, you know we need more people like that. Thank awesome. you. For comment Jordan. Yeah, very awesome. Um, uh, before we do touch on to the whole fractional ownership uh, topic, Ryan, because it is definitely um, something that's, you know, it's a hot topic right now. And I, you know, there's a lot of content out about it right now. And I do want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I just I was looking for another comment here and it has escaped me again, guys. I'm sorry. I just can't keep up tonight with these right now. Well, here, let's see this one. This is pretty cool. Karn says $600,000 was just turned down. For a complete Whoa. PSA 10 first edition set, the collector bought it a decade ago. Sites being too connected to them to sell. That's why I'm bullish. So yes, Karn is, is my, one of my go-to Pokemon experts, and Whoa. that's why he's bullish. Somebody who bought it 10 years ago doesn't need six, like, I don't want to say he doesn't need 600 grand, but isn't willing to part with them for even $600,000. That's life-changing money to most people in the world. Yeah, there's a set that sold four months ago for like $129,000. It's, it's unbelievable what a, what a weekend like last weekend can do for, for the segment, Ryan, in terms of Logan Paul, the $220,000 Charizard sold by iconic auctions. I mean, and it's, it, it's no different than like sports cards though, right? Like relevancy has always mattered. That's why basketball cards don't sell when there's no basketball being played. That's why, you know, Luca tens aren't twelve or two grand anymore. They're eleven hundred. Or Zion tens aren't eight hundred. They're five fifty. Or Luca silver tens aren't ten grand. They're six grand. Right? Like Luca's not putting up triple doubles. Right? Everything has its moment. And the attention that Logan Paul has brought to it, and you know, other big names. That's again, relevancy will will always matter in in, in the the collectible market. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I like you know. Not only will Charizard not tear his ACL, and he won't he won't end up on in jail or or you know on TV for doing something stupid. But there's no off season, right? There's no off season. So I don't know what drives the cycles of that market. I haven't been through enough enough cycles or enough weeks really in it to understand it. But I'm looking forward to learning more. I, it, it, it's 
you know, it, it just it is what it is. I'm not I'm not going to be apologetic for it. I can like whatever I want for whatever reasons I want. But I, I and I will say, you know, there were there were times, you know, five however many years ago where I said I'll never get into Pokemon. I don't understand it. But hey, I'm an open-minded person, and I like I like things that I like to look at, and they are nice. They there is there is some artistic value to them. There is some eye appeal and some aesthetic value to them that is just nice. Sure. And the fact that they are that they're so popular means that they can become good investment pieces. And like I said, Ryan, I, I've been like I started in the hobby in like 1980 as a kid, and I've never left it. So I've seen. I've seen, you know, 40 years worth of sports card cycles and the industry evolving. And, um, and, and that's what I'm basing these decisions on for me, buying, dipping my toes in a Pokemon isn't just hype. It's not because I'm just, you know, getting caught up in the hype or the FOMO. It's because I'm, I'm, I think I'm taking my, my hobby experience and I'm applying it to this segment because it's fun and there's, and there's investment potential. So uh, going back a little bit here, a couple more comments I want to I want to bring in. Um, Richard says that when when Derek had his shop near me in Vancouver, it was just real fun after work to hang out with the game on, sifting through five thousand count boxes of cards. Really enjoyed that over scrolling eBay, and that comes back to you know the the bricks and mortar versus just sitting in your home and doing it there. But then Simon says, does Ryan think there will be more of a shift towards online card collecting, buying, selling, etc.? long-term due to the pandemic. How do you see, and I want, this was on my list to ask you, Ryan, is how has the pandemic affected your business and, and how have you made, have you managed, have you and how have you managed to maintain revenues while people are not going out as much as they were before? Yeah. So this is a great question. And I think the answer is yes, right? Like COVID definitely changed a lot of things, right? Like Think of the last time, when's the last time you hugged a person, right? Just life changed so much with COVID. I just don't think you're we're, you're just dying to go out and go to card stores as much. I mean, we, we get pretty good foot traffic. So um, I say that, you know, opposite end of my mouth. But um, yeah, I, I think there, that's why we've, I mean, our social content has exploded in the last six months, right? Like for, for perspective on July 26th or yeah, July 16th or July 26th, I had just hit 30,000 followers. We're almost to 40, right? It took me seven years to hit 30,000 followers and it's taken me five months, four months to hit 10 more thousand. Like social media has exploded for cards. So this is definitely a, a moment here. Um, I definitely see an increase in Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Facebook, like it, it's all on fire. Um, but COVID really was eye opening for us, right? Like when I first bought my store last year, uh, we talked about the allocation before. We were getting a couple boxes of a product, let's say two cases or a, a case and a half. So the average football product, that's about 18 boxes. We were going through those pretty consistently, like in a two to two, three day period. So I was never really able to break those products online. When COVID happened and we got shut down for two months, we were forced to break, right? Like if you don't have people coming in your store, you have to generate revenue everywhere or elsewhere. And that's when it led to us breaking. And again, I used to break back in the day before I uh, had reopened the sh- or had opened the shop. Um, 
So we had the following in place, started doing that, and it was a major success for us. We were breaking multiple times a week, multiple products, like long hours at a time. Um, and it was eye-opening. It was like, hey, this is a serious revenue generator for us. And that led to other different things like starting grading submissions, right? Um, listing more consistent auctions on eBay. I have a good amount of inventory from years of collecting, lots of cool stuff and can't keep it all. So got to be able to consistently turn over inventory. So we've, we're at the point now where we list you know, 800 to a thousand cards a month. That's new for us. We weren't doing that. Um, just a lot of things. I started the year with one half time or part-time employee and I'm up to six employees that work more than 20 hours a week. So COVID was, was eye opening for us for sure. And, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, yeah, eye opening is, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Okay, man. Fair. Very fair. Very fair. Nice comment from Brian. Great show as usual. Sports cards live. Number one. Thank you so much, Brian. Must say, appreciate that comment. How many cards are in the first edition set? Oh, I see that got answered. 103, including red cheeks right after. Thanks. Yeah, I'm always great to see you. Uh, Pepper Dean says, new sets generate hype around particular Pokemon types of cards, VMAX, shinies, rainbows, etc. Sounds like parallels for to make the sports card uh the sports cards analogy and influencers push the focus on particular sets and cards. Hey, very similar to sports cards, right? I mean, there's something for everybody for the most part, but influencers can push people in certain directions. No, uh, nothing magical about that. Simon says back here, I think there's a limit to the amount of different Charizards that can, they can create before it gets a bit stale, too much of a good thing, like all different parallels in basketball of the different players an interesting comment i don't know what that's gonna what that'll look like but something to watch for right i mean but i wonder is the nintendo or the pokemon company are they and i don't know if you know this ryan it's just a question i have though are they controlling the the output the supply that they're that they're putting out there to to not drown out the market or not flood the market do you know any do you know can you even respond to that I know they're re-releasing some sets. Again, I'm not super knowledgeable in Pokemon, so don't you know take my word as the as the end all be all on this. But like, I know they're re-releasing um, some of the bigger, uh, newer sets recently. Like, I know there's going to be more Champion Path releases. There's going to be another Hidden Fates release, and that's the that's the one kind of concern I have about the modern Pokemon stuff versus some of the vintage stuff that's not being remade. Is the newer stuff. Very similar to like the, you know, the rumor about the 89 Upper Deck Griffey. You just, you can't prove production. You have no idea how many is out there. The easiest way to do that, that's why I think PSA and Beckett are so helpful, is they tell the pop report. Because the, you know, people want graded cards, those are resources to see how many are graded. That really paints the picture on these modern Pokemon cards as you continue to watch those those charts go up with higher or more tens and more nines. Um, that will paint that picture, but that's that's kind of my concern about some of the more modern stuff. Is just simply the supply. Um, can the demand keep up with it? I'm not sure. I quite agree with this. Um, I, I understand it, but if they made another LeBron refractor, it would still sell regardless of what it, what it was. So. Um, I still think people are going to buy Charizard. Kids want Charizard. It's the card, right? Like there's always a guy people want for Pokemon that they add newer ones here or there, but Charizard is still the one. And like I said, if, if they made more LeBrons, people would still buy them. I just, I have a hard time believing people wouldn't buy a Charizard. 
sounds to me like there's just a lot of dedicated character collectors. And it's like, if you collect Pokemon, you collect Charizard. You may collect other cards too, but you may just be a Charizard collector, in which case you want, maybe you want every card that comes out of his, of his, as if he's gendered, <laughs> maybe he is. Uh, you know, you you want every Charizard card that comes out. That makes sense to me. That, that kind of, that's what collecting really, that, that's how we collect. Paul says, next up for Jeremy, Yu-Gi-Oh!, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, someone asked me, well, what about magic? And I said, I said, you know, if I look into, and I did this at my local card shop just last week, I, I looked at a, a showcase of Pokemon and a showcase of magic and the magic just looked dark and sad to me where the Pokemon <laughs> looked bright and happy. So to me, it's kind of a no brainer. And that just comes down to personal preference, of course. Um, Oh man, so many great comments coming in here, guys. And I want to appreciate it. Ziggy. Here's a great one. 74 watchers and only 29 thumbs up. Smash that thumbs up. And I'll take this, I'll take a moment here, Ryan, if you don't mind, just to I, again, lots of new viewers who probably haven't seen sports cards live before. I want to welcome all of you to the show. I've been doing this since April. This is episode number 54. I got a, a library of great episodes. They are long, so you know, watch them in chunks, 10 minutes here, 15 there, 20 minutes there, sort of thing. YouTube will remember where you left off. Please consider subscribing to the, the Sports Cards Live channel. I would greatly appreciate it if you would. It's always nice to see that subscribership number go up. It just makes you feel like you're doing a good job and providing content that people like. So I greatly appreciate it. And thanks to you, Ryan, for publicizing that you were appearing. It's not beyond me that you have a, a huge following. So thank you for, for Absolutely. publicizing, coming on, and, and bringing more viewers to my content. I greatly appreciate that from you directly. Some more comments. So let's get to them here. Um, I want to welcome to the show, Jose Hernandez says, Pokemon prints a good amount of each set since they're more in line with people who play the game and not the collector, which makes sense to me. And the mm -hmm. fact that people play the game means that many of these cards aren't going to, they're not going to gem. They're just not going to. Ziggy says, as a sports card collector, I look at Pokemon as the canary in the cave when it dips. Sports cards will be next. Pokemon will dip first, in my opinion. I would just say to that, everything is cyclical. If you Everything is cyclical in, in, in the economy. So it's going to happen. It's going to dip. Things are going to dip. The question really becomes, what's the new floor? What's the new floor? And is the new floor sustainable by new entrants? And I'm a new entrant into Pokemon. I'm, I've, I have personally had a, I had a small, small impact on raising that floor because I've tucked away three of these cards. So and jump in. I was going to say, and we saw that with basketball, right? Like when... COVID first happened and people, we, it brought a mass influx of people into the market. There was a three month period where if you bought something, it, you didn't lose money. Like it was, the market was that good. And right when basketball returned into July, early August, we really started to see that was when people really were like, Hey, maybe not everything we buy turns to gold automatically. Cause you were buying something and three weeks later, it was worth way more money. Like it was, it was like you would sell. I was, I remember selling Luca PSA tens for $450, like the first week of July. And they were two grand five weeks later, not even five weeks later. And I'm like, I mean, it's out on $6,000 selling them for 500 versus two grand in a month. And they went up and they got to about right around two grand. And then they came down and they're about 1100 now. And my, one of my co-hosts on uh, car talk mentioned this, Tyler mentioned this is, you know, they were 400 consistently as tens. Now they're consistently 1100. And I think that's the key there is they may not be 2000 still, but they're also not a 400. The, the floor has risen and it, it it's, 
it's definitely a, a nice improvement on the on on uh, on that end. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, man. Um, Terry says, how do you tell if it's a first edition? Terry, there's a marking right on it. You can Google that and find that really quick. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's very obvious uh, how how to tell. Yam says, Ryan, thoughts on tennis goat cards, Federer, Serena, etc. Can you speak? You want to speak to that for a second? Yeah, it's it, it seems like something cool. Like I, as a collector of cards, I would certainly love to get something neat of of Federer, Nadal, Serena, something like that to to keep. Um, I'm not in that market or that space, so I don't I don't really know it. Um, maybe someday I'll grab something of them because I definitely think those are you know there are goats in that sport for sure. Um, especially guys I've, or guys and girls I, you know, got to grow up watching. So I think it'll be cool one day, but it's just not a market I'm, I'm in or, or know much about. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, and, but it is interesting because we're, you know, Tiger Woods, there's an individual sport, right? And sure. he's got cards that are worth good, good money. Mike Tyson's got Muhammad Ali. These guys have cards that are worth big money, old stuff from other countries. And so you got to, you know, and I think, I think the question that, that Yam is asking is really like, are there still opportunities out there outside of the, the traditional, the big four, the, the four major sports outside, you know, outside of the guys like Tiger Woods? Cause that, that, when his upper deck rookie came out, in 19, I don't remember the year, 1992 or something like that. It was everywhere. It wasn't a hard card to find, but now people are going back and they're, they're, they're chasing it because of what's happening in the overall hobby. So can that now transfer to tennis players and other, other sports that are not really the, the, the big four team sports. And I, I think, I think there is demand for it. I mean, we see upper deck, uh, has done with their PMGs, the employee cards. They've done Michael Phelps. They've done Oscar De La Hoya. They've done Hulk Hogan. These cards sell for big money, and uh, and they're they're very nice and they're sports cards. So, it, but good question, Yam. I think I think it's uh, it's relevant to today because we're all we're all still looking for those opportunities uh, at yep. this time. And I think there are opportunities. I say every time I walk through the national every year, year after year, I say to myself. What am I looking at right now that a year from now I'm going to wish I bought today? And here I am, I can buy it, but you can't, none of us can see the future. So, but we take our best guesses and we use our experience to make those forecasts and to maybe put our money where our mouth is and to buy some something and take a risk. And when I did it with those Charizards in June, July, and now I've been proven right, that just makes me think I might be onto something. So but <laughs> my next move might be a mistake or it might not be as, it might not turn out the same way, right? You, you can't get it right every time. Exactly. It's not a business if you make money on everything. No, it, it, it's 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 a fantasy and at that point. Yeah. And this, these last six months have somewhat been a fantasy, especially since Ryan, when it was when, when lockdowns were announced and, and and NBA shut down, I think everybody in the hobby thought this is the end of the hobby, or at least sure. 100 percent all of our cards are now tanking in value because people need money to buy supplies. Not Logically, supplies. that makes sense, right? If you th- and that's what's the craziest thing about COVID, and this is why I'm uh, again I've sold a lot of the excess stuff that we have as much, and we were so big on eBay. Is logically, if you ask any person, hey, there's going to be a pandemic. It's going to shut down a lot of the country. It will kill, unfortunately, kill a lot of people. Like there will be no sports. You can't travel anywhere. You have to wear a mask. Like. Logically, you would say, well, that's not good for sports cards, right? Things that are typically not good for cards are recessions or war. Like those aren't, you stop putting money in hobbies when those things happen. And 
here we are and the hobby is on fire and it's yeah it's just it's kind of backwards to what i think most people would expect i i sold a lot of stuff when it happened to me and you know i wasn't in the position i'm in now the hobby was different i you know I can't eat these cards. These cards pay my bills. I had to sell stuff. It's like, I was like, Hey man, I got to sell some, we, we, we sold a a good amount of stuff and um, yeah, definitely interesting. We can't eat them. We can't, we can't wear them and we can't live in them. So, right. And that's, those are the basic needs of humans. So uh, along with social interaction, you know, I also, it also tells me just how resilient and strong the hobby is. If it can serve, if it can not only survive, but thrive in an epidemic when people are looking for something to do with their time and their money. And they, like you said way earlier in the episode, people are, are turning to old hobbies. Are they going to stick with it? And that's really the question. Are they going to stick with it? Or a lot of these new people that are coming in over these past six months, are they going to stick with it once they can travel again, once they can bet on sports again, once they can go to sporting events, watch games at pubs with their buddies, that kind of thing. Right. Are they going to stick with it? I think, and I've said it before, Ryan, it's a numbers game. 100% that many will stay. I don't know what that many looks like. I don't know if it's 1% or 50% or somewhere else, but many people are going to stick with it because they'll have that collector gene that just wasn't woken yet. And now it's woke and they're going to stick with it because let's face it, it's a freaking awesome, awesome hobby. We all love it. So how it's not like we're the only ones that can love it. They're going to stay with it. So I think that the foundation is more solid than it's ever been for the hobby. And while we're going to see cycles and we're going to see, you know, the overall index values, if I may call it that come down, dip a little bit, we need a dip. It's the dip. We've heard it before. I want, I'm sounding cliche, but the dip is healthy because we need a, we need a reality check and then we needed to come back. I've I've sir I've lived through dips in this hobby before. We saw one just after just in around 2016 17 there was a run up and then there was a dip. I bought some cards in that run up. And then in the dip I'm like damn it I should have waited. Well guess what? I'm back in the money now on those particular cards. I just had to wait for the next cycle. There will be more cycles guys. So don't don't be too impatient. Don't 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 like um, fire sell everything you have r- the first time you you get the inkling of a dip unless you're just in, you want you don't want to be in it anymore then sell it and, and you know hopefully maybe, maybe we'll see you back again in the hobby in the future but anyway i'm kind of going off on a little bit of a rant there thanks for for that uh i want to just point out yeah simon says that you know uh tiger's rookie card was 95 was only a few unofficial cards from that year yeah like a uh, sports illustrated one or some other one i believe 2001 upper deck is considered his official rookie card. Yes. Okay. Oh, one. Thank you, Simon. That's the one that I was thinking of. Uh, what do we, uh, Jordan says, Ryan, you've publicly talked about being inspired by Gary V and you now work with him and his team. Can you talk about that and how you can inspire others? Like Gary inspired you. Interesting question. You want to field that one? Yeah. That's a really, really good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I posted about it when it, when it happened. Um, you know, was it 2015, 2016? I was sitting at a desk. I used to work at a, a community college doing like data entry, right? So I'd sit at a computer. There's two screens. One was uh, my, you know, uh, um, Excel or Access database. The other one was Gary V, right? And I watched a lot of his content and it 
for the better, you know, it changed my life, right? Like I was very motivated by the things he was saying. This was before Gary got into cards. I know some people are very opinionated about Gary V now. I was sold on Gary V for what he, what his message was, not anything he did in cards. And I, again, I don't want to go into all that, but it was very much like, you know, one life, no regret. Like you can't come home and complain that you hate your job so much and not do anything about it. Right. Like you can't say that like this is not like, man, life sucks. You work a lot of your life. Most of your life is working. Right. If you're going to work all the time, you might as well do something you absolutely enjoy. So I, I frankly just busted my rear end and just spent Friday night. And I just focused on on this. I was like, if I really want to do this, I have to prove to myself that I could do this. And I, you know, late nights and long weekends and it just. I, I focused on that and I came home and after work and school and, and, and focused on that. So I think the big thing I try to do um, is I'm, I'm very much aware. Like you said earlier, like people comment like, uh, you know, Ryan, you're living my dream. And I'm very, very much aware of how opportunistic I am and how lucky I am to be doing this all the time. And I don't take that for granted. So I, I try, I certainly try where I can to, um, inspire others with, um, you know, a lot of the same positivity that, you know, has been instilled in me. And, um, I just, Oh, uh, I, that's, that's the big thing for me is, is just, um, you know, life is what you make it. And, um, you know, it's all about, uh, perspective, right? Like that's, that's the way I, I try to look at it. So I try to, I try to, uh, you know, post that on a lot of my social media content. I, I don't, I don't get caught up in like the, the negativity or the bad apples or, um, that kind of thing. So I just, I, I don't try to talk much about that. I try to keep it pretty positive. And, um, again, that's why I like to share so much of my content is I realize that a lot of people want to do what I'm doing. Um, so I want to at least, you know, you know, I don't want to let those people down. Yeah, that, that, I love that what you just said at the very end. I don't want to let those people down. You know, you, you, you're aware that you have you have an audience. Um, I, I don't want to like you know patronize you or say you know, but you're somewhat of an influencer. You, you know, like it or not, it just comes with having that many people that that see your content on a regular basis. Um, and the question that Jordan said, you know, uh, you talk about being inspired by Gary V. Um, I'll just my experience with Gary. I. I, I knew of him prior to cards, prior to the 2019 national from his content and his, his positive message. And I, I saw, I went to his booth at the national. I bought a card from him in 2019 in Chicago and I saw him at his booth and months and months later into, into this year, I've seen people make comments about, you know, is he just being opportunistic or, um, you know, pump and dump that kind of thing. And I just, if anyone's out there watching that thought that, I want to I want to let you know what I saw. I saw a guy who was giddy, giddy to be at the National. He, he was like, it, just like any of us would be. You're, you're in your element. You're in, you're exactly where you want to be. You know, I go to the National once a year. I go to two sport card expos in Toronto in May and November when we have shows. And I say to people, these are my, these are my favorite weekends of, of the year. All three of those are my three favorite weekends of the year. I get to go cardboard nerd out with mm. all my cardboard nerd friends. And we hang out. We do trade night. We eat together. We, you know, we do all these things together. And, you know, that's what I saw in Gary. I mean, he was he was loving it. It was just like a kid in a candy store like we all are. 
And that's when I, to me, you know, when I hear any of the other stuff, I think you guys just, you, you, you're just wrong as far as my perception goes. The guy loves the stuff. And, um, and unfortunately for him, he's such an influence. He's such an influencer. He, he has to watch what he hypes, I guess, or what he shows and talks about, but his message is generally very positive. And, and the fact that it changed your life and to put you where you are today, I mean, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. So, you know, thanks to Gary for, for having the influence on your life. And now you're, you're helping people enjoy the hobby more. You've got your shop, you've changed the hobby landscape in your geographical area, if not the world, just based on what you're doing. So it, it all, it's like, we're all meant to be here sort of thing. I think it's really cool. Ayo Rhino, welcome to you. We're having a great time tonight. Absolute says, so you know, expanding your knowledge is how you grow. You two have me, you two have me looking at hockey, basketball, and football, especially any card that is a jersey number. That's love interesting. It. Love it. I, I'm so big on this. Again, I, I, I'm sure I'm in a, a small minority in this, but the jersey number thing is that's that's my jam. I love that stuff. I I I like it too. I like number one of a hundred, hundred of a hundred, that kind of thing as well. Turns love my it. crank. Um, are you guys noticing the grading companies grading harder nowadays? That's a much better question for Ryan. Yeah, I, I have, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I pay very close attention to, um, you know, subs, like submissions we get back and submissions I see other people posting. And uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, I'm not, I don't, again, I have no inside knowledge of, of anything grading at all, zero in terms of grading scales or anything like that. But from what I've seen, it looks like it's it's been tougher. Not not sure if that's intentional or not. It just maybe the cards aren't maybe quality controls wrong again. It just where does the problem lie in? Are the grading cards uh, grading card companies are they grading higher? Is quality control lacking? Like where it where where does it come in at? I'm, I'm not sure, but um, yeah. It, if I if I'm being honest, I th- I think it's been a little tougher. Yeah, interesting. And I've always kind of wondered, you know, I I remember hearing back, gosh, probably in 2010 or 11, that PSA had hired a new VP. It was a it was a woman, and they were now grading harder. And I thought, oh, no, like now I'm now I'm I'm less wanting to grade my cards, because I don't want the lower grades. But (laughs) at the end of the day, your card is in the condition it's in doesn't matter what the number says to the card, but it sure matters to the market what that number says. Yep. I just want to point out, guys, we're past the two-hour mark, Ryan. I hope it hasn't felt like two hours to you, but past two-hour mark, we are in officially into overtime on Sports Cards Live, so we put up that overlay at the top there. We're, we're, we're I mean, we, man, I feel like we can go on for two more hours, but I know it's much later where you are than where <laughs> I am. I'm at 10 p.m. You're at midnight, so yeah, we're, we're going to wrap this up soon. I think we're going to skip the Sports Cards Live 5 tonight just in the interest of time. But I do want to I do want to do the the PC card of the day, and I have two. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna move to that right now. So my per- personal collection card of the day. This is something I do, guys, where I want to show a card from my personal collection that ties into my guests. So Ryan is is uh, from the Columbia Columbus Ohio area. He's a fan of the Columbus Blue Jackets, which, if you don't know, is the NHL hockey team in Columbus. They were an expansion team in the early 2000s. I've actually, Ryan, I don't think I told you this. I've been to a game. I've been to a home That's game awesome. in Columbus in like the second year, I believe it was, when they were there. And That's uh, awesome. I must. I will tell you, I felt that that, that arena was very um, intimate 
It's an, yeah. in, you know, you, you yeah. feel like you're on top of the game. hundred percent. Yeah. That's how exactly how it's built. That arena is awesome. Nationwide arena is really, really cool. I, I went to, I went to the, it was, it was the day I pulled a Luka Doncic National Treasures Patch Auto. The Blue Jackets hosted their first ever game in the second round. They'd never done it. That was when they swept the Lightning last year. They swept the Lightning, and then they played Boston in the second round. And there, it was like game three. The series was like tied 1-1. And they hosted their first ever home game. By far, the coolest sporting event I've ever been to. It was it was wild. It was I. I, I went. To, I saw LeBron play in the finals. I've been to a multi, you know, forty Ohio State games. I've been to a lot of cool sporting events. By far, the coolest sporting event I've been to was the Jackets in the second round. That place was rocking. And and don't they like fire off a cannon when they yeah, score a goal? Yeah, it's it's wild. It's it's an experience. It's really cool. If you're ever in Columbus and Blue Jackets are playing when COVID doesn't exist or this, uh, you know restrictions aren't there you should go it's well worth it check it out and i mean just to everyone out there i know hockey is not uh you know the biggest sport out there uh among you know american fans and all that but give it a chance hockey is super exciting it's a ton of fun to watch and the cards are in my opinion the nicest ones out there because we get we have the best patches the best uniforms the best logos in of any sport yep and okay. I don't think that, that I don't think that's really biased. I think that's an, an objective type of comment, but I'm, sure. I will admit I am biased towards hockey. But but uh, give it a chance. So I think okay, we've had some requests to do the sports cards live five, Ryan. So that's going to be up to you if you got the time. I'm going to do yeah, sure. card of the day first. I got two cards to show, and they're both of probably one of the best uh, Columbus Blue Jackets of all time, Rick Nash. I do believe he was their first draft pick ever. I think he was That's a great, great question. I think I'm not hundred percent. Someone out there can confirm that. I believe he was, but that might not be true. Maybe second year they picked him, but Rick Nash was a superstar. And so I'm going to show off this. I'm going to show two cards. Uh, the first one, Ryan, you haven't seen. This is a card of the player. It's not a blue jackets card, but it's a card of Rick Nash from his junior days. So, this is oh, a one-of-one one ultimate emblem from in the game ultimate memorabilia. This is from the year 2010. And that he he played for a team in juniors called the London Knights from London, Ontario. And basically, you're seeing the whole knight, the whole shoulder patch from his junior jersey right here. It's a it as you can see, it's it's a it's a one-of-one. One. And um, these cards came out for a few for about four or five years. The other one I have is from the same set, different year, but this is a blue jackets card. <laughs> and Look this is, i mean it's like That's a full incredible. card match it's colorful now what i did do ryan i'm gonna i'm just because the colors don't always pop on my for whatever reason and i'm not sure if this does but here i'm gonna show it here yeah it looks more yellow when you hold it up and look i would say i remember it looks a lot greener in in this photo because this is like the color of the the, the mascot yeah, that actually shows you the color. That, that's what the card looked like to my to the naked eye. And then here was the other one that I showed, just uh, so you can see. Kind of the colors do sort of pop. And um, yeah, so these are these are locked up in my personal collection. They've been there for almost ten years or so now already. Yeah, and, those uh, patches those, are great. Thanks, man. I'm glad. I'm glad you like them. I, I, mm-hmm. I will admit we cheated. I showed you the first. I showed you uh, this one here yesterday. And uh, I mean, Ryan's eyes did pop when I showed him this card. You got, you got happy. It was, uh, I kind of, I, I was, 
I wish I waited for for today to show you to get that that kind of that authentic excitement from you, but I can still tell that you, you do like it. So I'm glad you do, man. Those are the P, that's the PC card of the day, everybody. That goes with that overlay right there. Ryan, let's jump in. Do the we'll do the five P, the sports cards live five questions. And if you're, I mean, are you good to go for a few more minutes here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're good. All right. So let's jump in. Sports cards live five, Ryan. This isn't really a, a like a fire uh, a, a speed a speed round or anything, but it's five questions. So favorite card in your personal collection? Uh, I've always uh, I've always said, and I'll stick true to it. Um, if I had to give up anything, I would give up everything first, other than my Donnie Nicky collection. Again, guy I went to went to the same school as I did, was drafted by the Buckeye or played at Ohio State, won a national title there, played for the Titans. That was he was a. Uh, he won a national championship at Ohio State in 2002 when I was nine. So seeing someone from my, you know, hometown make it big, go to the NFL, play for so long, his mom was my art teacher, and collecting his cards, that what's really got me hooked into cards. I was the first person I collected. So my Donnie Nicky stuff, it's probably the least expensive stuff in my whole entire PC, but it, to me, I would give up everything else for that stuff. So my Donnie Nicky stuff for sure. And you know what? I mean, you hear a lot of you, you see a lot of people collect a lot of different players and people always ask, why do you collect this obscure player? Yep. And it's because of that, there's a personal reason. There was a moment in time you met the player, you knew the player, you met you were young, you met the player and they and they you know gave you one of these on the head and said, Out of boy, that kind of thing, like whatever it is. So awesome. Okay, question two. What is the highest priority want card on your list that is actually attainable? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 man, there's two cards that like, yeah, I've got two cards. I got ambitious goals on these. I, I really, really want to own a 52 mantle tops. Like that is the card I really, really want to own. Um, I've got some, some cool stuff put away, but that's really the card that like, I really, really want to own. Even if it's not even like, I know one's north of five figures. So I understand that that's going to gonna require some capital and some selling some cool stuff to get uh brady contenders is also on my want list i'm a i'm an ohio state guy so buying michigan guys isn't near the top of my you know want list but uh i'm a patriots fan so watching brady and all those years in new england i used to own one um unfortunately didn't keep it so brady contenders is probably up there as well those are those are two of my like holy grail cards at the moment okay question three where's your favorite place to buy cards um Instagram. Good answer coming from you. Number four, if you could change one thing about the hobby, what would it be? Um, that's a good question. If I could change one thing about the hobby, what would it be? I don't know. I don't know if I, let's come back to that one. Let's go to the next one. I'm not sure I know an answer to that immediately. All right, sure. Come back to it. Question five is: What is your biggest hobby purchase or sale regret? <laughs> I own three Mahomes National Treasures nine five ten patch autos. Uh, sold those for about three grand a piece. They're worth north of fifty a piece. And I sold a uh, the Luka Doncic I hit last year. Um, sold that for sixteen five, and it auctioned on PWCC last month for north of two hundred thousand. So you've got some legit regrets, but yeah. we don't want to have regrets. And the other thing I always say to people when, you know, and that those are extreme, extreme uh, things that happened after you sold them. But, you know, you take that 16.5, you buy something, 
you sure. make money with, especially you're in business. You make some money on it in the meantime. You take the proceeds from that, you make money on it, you know? Yeah, if you're if you're continuously flipping the money, right? If I flipped that 16.5 every month for the last 18 months, I would have made a good amount of money, assuming, you know, 10% for 18 months. You make a good amount of money. It's not impossible. Again, it might not be hard to, or it might be harder to reach that. But yeah, if the goal is to obtain it. And, and again, it, it, ideally, everything we sell goes up. That would be the goal, right? That tells you the market is hot and the market is strong. So the, you know, the more stuff goes up after, if I had to sell a Luca 9.5 or a Luca patch auto for it to hit 200,000 in the market to be this great, I'd do it all over again, right? Like the, the market's in a much different place now. So yeah, that was, again, can't win them all. And I, I feel good. I, it works both ways though. I'm sure there's things I sold that aren't worth anywhere near that anymore. And, and the people that bought those from you and went and made some money, you know, they're that much more entrenched and invested in the hobby now. And, you know, it, it's, it's good. You've had wins too. There's no doubt you've had some sure. big wins in the hobby and you know, you've some other people have had some wins that you help facilitate. And the other thing is that we, you know, the cards move, the cards move around. You know, not all, some of them are locked away, but many cards move around from person to person and without cards moving, we wouldn't have comps. We wouldn't have the opportunity for cards to even go up in value. So, and especially on you're talking about cards are out of 99, there's not many to go around, right? So they have to they have to turn over in order for the market to experience these these increases in values of these particular pieces so all right man good stuff good stuff um we're gonna go back to overtime quick and you know there, we wanted to talk about fractional ownership a little bit tonight before we, we we signed off i think we should do that briefly because it is a hot topic it's something i'm interested in i had the ceo of collectible on the show last week and with ezra levine we had a great conversation but from your perspective ryan um you know, what are your thoughts on fractional ownership? Does does it work? Will it last? Who's it for? Generally speaking, can you give us your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's super, super interesting concept. Um, not my thing. Um, the, the, the reason I love cards so much is they're, they're tangible, right? You can touch them. The fractional ownership never has appealed to me just because it's just like, um, just same reason I'm not really much in, I'm, I don't, follow the stock market every day. It's just like, it's just a lot less tangible to me. I, I think it's cool. Um, I think it's to people that are more into the stock market, right? And are like, I think that's the biggest thing about stock, uh, about cards and why so many of the guys that like, uh, when COVID happened, a lot of like, uh, uh, daily fantasy players got into sports cards and are here. I know, I know multiple of them. I know many of them personally and they got in. And I think that's the big thing about cards that they like, and I know it's what I like is they're just tangible, right? You can see them, you can hold them, you can exchange them. It just, um, with, with that, it's just more of a click and a button and it's gone kind of thing. It's, it's a little different, but again, com C is really big and that you do that on com C where, you know, you go and check out my cards and you buy a card and you relist it and you sell it. It's, you know, day trading. Um, but yeah, fractional ownerships, like I said, it's an interesting, interesting idea. And I think it's definitely here to stay in cards as an alternative investment, just not never really been on my my uh my alley. Yeah, when I say who is it for, I think I think that's kind of what I'm looking for. So you've said it's not for you, and that's totally cool. Of course, we all approach the hobby in our own unique way, and uh, we need to respect everyone's approach. I see it being for people who are not really collectors like we are, but do want to get involved in the hobby sure. and maybe just don't want to deal with eBay and all that sort of thing. So while it's not tangible, 
you still do own a percentage of an asset sure, just sure. like when you own a just like when you own a stock you own a percentage yeah. of, of apple or amazon or, or whatever it is you do own it but like you said it, the stock market to me is no fun because i don't i don't like there's i don't i don't get off on looking at my my monitor and telling me how many shares i have of this company what they're worth today and how much they went up or down that doesn't do it for me yeah. the card the cards do this cards are my stock market, just like you. That, that's that's where, and if you are educated and you have some experience and you have some discipline, the card market can actually be a very, very fruitful investment vehicle. We call it alternative an alternative investment. I mean, it's primary for me. It really is. I, you know, outside of my house and maybe even more so than my house is my card collection. Um, so. You know, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not alternative for me. That's for sure. It's certainly primary for you as well. You do it for a living yeah. and you're invested. So yeah. Okay. We don't have to talk about that much any, anymore. Really. I just wanted to hear your take on it. And, uh, and, you know, although I will say one more thing, I do think it's going to, it's going to sustain and last because sure. the market, it, it's such a big marketplace and it sure. does appeal to people. It does appeal to people. I just wonder yeah. how many collectors will, will kind of veer off in that direction and not stop buying cards to hold 100% of them, to own 100% of them, but will dabble in that market. I've heard many people have already. I will admit, if I could, I would I would have some shares of these things too, just because why not? Like I'm in the hobby, I wanna try all different facets of it, so I would, but I'm in Canada, so we're, we just, they can't offer it up here. The, the rally and collectible can't do that yet. So hopefully they will one day. Anyway, man, listen, we're, uh, we're well past what I like. I try to keep these shows to about two hours. I know we could keep on going, but I want to respect your time. I know you got you got a business to run in the morning, so we can. Uh, I think I think we should we should wrap up. Um, I'll ask the viewers, guys. Thank you so much. First of all, I, I'm gonna I'm we're gonna run through a few of the comments as we as we sign off here. So we're we're gonna wrap up. We're not wrapping. It'll take us a couple minutes here, Ryan. Mm -hmm. but, um, I do want, oh, Ziggy says here, eliminate exclusive licenses and let them compete. If I can I make love that. That's fantastic idea. That Ziggy with the a, a plus idea. This, this would be awesome. Like just think of like all the things we're missing out in the hobby because of the exclusivity, right? Like we don't have LeBron and Jordan autos. You're not going to have LeBron, Jordan, Zion autos. You're not going to have like, yeah, I just, that, that to me, I mean, when's the last time we've had a, I mean, Kobe, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, but like, you're not going to get Kobe, LeBron, Jordan autos again. Like those, like, I mean, it makes the, you know, the other aspect of it is it makes the ones that we do have worth more, but you're just not getting them anymore. Like I miss upper deck, exquisite basketball and tops Chrome and like products that we don't get now. I, I mean, all the companies do things very well, but I definitely, that, that, that would probably be my answer. That's a wonderful answer. Um, yeah, the exclusivity, man. That's gotta go. Yeah, and I'm with you, man. Like in hockey, we have Upper Deck, which I I think we're very fortunate in hockey because, in my personal opinion, I think Upper Deck makes the nicest cards. To just I like their designs and their graphics more than any other company. Although Panini, when they were in hockey, they made some exceptional. They did National Treasures in hockey. It's one of the best products ever made in hockey. Topps Heritage would be great to see that again. Love Topps Heritage back when, when we had it in hockey in the early 2000s for a three or four year run. Beautiful cards, cool parallels, chromiums, all this sort of stuff. So yeah, it would be nice to see that. Uh, sure. It would certainly be nice to see that. 
I've been cautioned by people to say, you know, be careful what you wish for, because if that happens, we, you know, we don't know exactly what it would look like. Other things, you know, there may be some negative aspects to it. But I think oh, generally, if you just think about the way the world works and economics, competition drives innovation, competition drives evolution. And I think um, quality I think control. Quality control, did you say? Yeah, quality control. Like if, if, one company is the only company that makes a particular sport. You don't have an alternative. Like, are you going to stop buying hockey cards? Cause upper deck makes cards that are really, really like have bad quality control issues. No, probably not. You're just going to kind of live with it, right? Like if you want hockey cards, this is the option for hockey cards. If, if every company can make hockey cards, I just think, you know, it, 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 it forces you to basically like, you know, make, make better stuff. I just, if you have other options and one company is not doing well, well, you'll explore the other options. Yeah, There is no quality, other option. Quality control is a tough one for me because, um, you know, both, I mean, I can't speak to tops, but Upper Deck and Panini both outsource their printing of cards and they outsource them. You know, I think, I, I know Upper Deck has a couple of different outs businesses or vendors that they use, but Panini and Upper Deck share one of the biggest ones for, to, so, so they're being printed by the same business the same company prints upper deck cards and panini cards and i think they have to fight for press time with that with that vendor so i always wonder is quality control you know is it upper deck or is it their vendor and i know as a consumer you don't care it's upper deck it's their they're the one who's whose name is on it so they need to attend to that better than than they maybe are but i don't know that increased competition is going to change that because of the printing vendors that they're sharing anyway interesting yeah so then, but then it depends too. You're going to have a difference between hand pack products and and machine pack products, and you know, especially cards that are on card autographed. I mean, just because you know Zion drops a card, sends it back to Upper Deck with the ding corner, is Upper Deck supposed to not pack that out because the player dropped it? Now they they have one less case hit that hurts their revenues. Or should they go back and remake it? As a lot of people have said, well, you don't just make one card at a time, right? You do a whole sheet and. Yep. So there's other, and then you need the press time. You need the press time at the vendor to do it. You may not have the ability to remake the cards even. So there's a lot of moving parts that a lot of the hobby just doesn't have complete information on. Sure. sure. Okay. Uh, thanks for letting me rant on that. Okay, guys. Well, listen, um, I, I always appreciate the outgoing comments. So I'm just going to run through some of them here. Uh, I do not think there will be major interest in fractional. Fair, fair. We're all, you know, fair to not think that. I think there will be. But time will tell. Time will tell. I came into sports cards. I was a big daily fantasy player. Yeah, welcome to the hobby, AO. I'm, I like my daily fantasy too, so welcome. Rodman, one of the best guys in the hobby. Great show. Ryan is a cool kid. See you guys at the next trade night. Yes, we will for sure, my man. Wait. That's it. That's why Starstock became so popular. I'm not too familiar with Starstock yet, but I plan to get there. Awesome. Thanks for the comment, Matt. I'm just trying to skip a bunch of these kind of comments that are you guys talking to each other. Legion, always appreciate your viewership, my man. Thank you so much. Great show. Thank you, name. Great to have you, Dave. Great to have you. Thanks for coming by, Mike. Thank you. Hit the thumbs up button, guys. I appreciate that. Rodman says, would you limit each company to a certain amount of product? The problem there, Rodman, is that the companies need to print enough products to pay their overhead, pay their staff and keep the lights turned on. And that's where when people come up, Ryan, I'm sure you've heard the solution. 
you hand out four licenses, each company gets to do six products. The, the problem with that is that none of these companies can survive on six products a year. It's just not the way the business works anymore. That worked in the 80s and the 90s. It doesn't work anymore, unfortunately. Terry, thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate it. Mike, Kobe, RIP. Ryan, how about when you pulled that Kobe auto from that box with his number on it? That was sick. Good memories there. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Dex says, Ryan, I'm the guy that asked you if you were interested in my Michael Thomas National Treasures RPA. There you go. Welcome to the show, <laughs> Dex. I cannot believe they send cards to players to get signed. There will never be pristine card autos. That's what the hobby has come to, Mr. LAGN. That's Well, they that- would typically do signings at like rookie premieres where they could, like a Panini rep could sit with Joe Burrow and have him sign autographs on card. Um, COVID changed that. There wasn't a rookie premiere this year. So um, there typically is, there typically are those kind of events. And I also know that like reps will go to players for signings. Like, you know, if Kevin Durant needs to sign autographs, they're not like, he's not, you know, they're not always mailing them to him and then mailing them back. They, they will meet up with, you know, players for signings and stuff like that. So a lot of it is done, you know, um, in an environment where someone can assist them and not just them chucking them into a box and saying, here you go, you know, here you go, stuff like that. Yeah, 100% correct. And, you know, I've even heard stories that Upper Deck has, they, they've actually traveled to uh, Russia in, this, in a particular instance to get a, a certain player's autograph. So they will do that. But what Ryan, what you said about their showcase applies to rookie cards 100%, but veteran cards, they will literally take a, a 400 count box, stuff it with, with you know, cards and ship it to the player to get to be autographed and the player will ship it back. And that just happens. And it happens yeah. a lot. And players, sure. I mean, I've had cards that have, you know, uh, runoff ink marks on the back of the card because the player or the edge or, you know, you, you see that, you see dings. You, I mean, these players don't understand. Not all of them yeah. understand oh, yeah. how important the condition is. If you want a gem mint card, there can't be anything. There should be like very, almost nothing wrong with it. So, you know, if they, they don't get it as much, you know, I can see them holding cards, the surfaces rubbing against each other, putting them on the table, not being too concerned about them. So and that's unfortunate, but it's part of the business. And we, as a, as a hobby demand on card autographs, we want them so bad. So that's, it's, you got to take the bad with the good in that case. Mm-hmm. Paul, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm always great to have you. Card Insight says, everyone should share this episode. More people need to see it. Great show, guys. I appreciate that card. Thank you so much, Peter. Great show, guys. Do send card collector hoodies to Canada. (laughs) Do you send card collector hoodies to Canada? There you go. Demand for your brand up here, Ryan. I love it. Appreciate that. Simon would still rather a beat up on card auto opposed to sticker auto. I hear you on that. Depends. Mm. But it depends. Are you looking for graded, non-graded, each to their own? Or Giannis, if you will keep Giannis, keep a few, we may. Okay. Oh, so they meet up with Luca's mom for signings. Funny. Andy, oh. great to see you. Thanks for for thanks for tuning in tonight. Adam, really appreciate. Guys, got to the end of the comments for the first time tonight. I, I want to, Ryan, I'm going to let you go, man. It's been two and a half hours, so I'm going to let you go, buddy. Thank you, Ryan, so much for joining me tonight. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, everybody, for joining the audience. I do appreciate it. If you haven't yet subscribed to my YouTube channel, please do. My Twitter, my Instagram, or the ticker right now. Please follow. Please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. They're going to keep coming on December for episodes right now, so we're not slowing down. I'm going to throw up Ryan's um, 
Twitter and Instagram right there. And Ryan's YouTube channel is also by the same name, Card Collector 2. Ryan, before you go, tell us what happened to Card Collector 1, and then we're going to sign off. <laughs> 2 is my lucky number when I was growing up. I uh, Blowout was Card Collector for me. And when I switched to Instagram, Card Collector wasn't available. So it just went to Card Collector 2 because that was my lucky number. And I get asked it all the time. But yeah, just Card Collector 2. That was, again, my number. And Card Collector, just that's how it works. It made sense. It made sense. All right. Very yeah. awesome, Ryan. All right. Dave Hart, thank you so much. Dustin, always great to see you, my friend. Great show. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that, Dustin. All right, Ryan, we're going to sign off. Ryan, if you don't mind waiting right there for a minute, we're going to hit end broadcast. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday. Have a great night. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.